Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. No one's blaming the president. Is anyone blaming the president? Um, but the president now wants to make this about him. Um, amen to the president for what he first said yesterday. Let's take a breath. Let's everybody tone it down. Let's just see where the fact they let the investigators do their job. We can all be better. But then it's our fault. Why? And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the first of November, year of our Lord 2018, going a day early. Fishing forecast is better for Friday. And that's our intro with the no, we're not blaming Trump, but we're gonna cover it briefly today. I, I gotta admit, I, I really dressed down this podcast because I can't do it. I just can't do it. All this crazy shit, all the Trump's the devil, Trump's the reason for everything. We ignore what lefties do to people. It's just a little frustrating. So this is gonna be more pointed, quick, a big soundbite of all the crazy shit said about yeah, the 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 Trump hating Nazi who fired up a synagogue, which is horrible, but how they treated that and you know, I just, I got to take a break just for a bit. We're going to be more to the point today, less pontificating by me until I lose my temper sometime. Uh, the election's going to be over next week and we can move on. Uh, it's just, it's embarrassing. That's all I have to say. It's embarrassing. Plus, I have a really great segment of all the crazy shit colleges and schools did for Halloween and our news and social media nuggets today. So, um, some good stuff. You know, let's get through the front. Not a normal podcast. Just going to do a quick fire for effect. Some tweets and, and no hypocrisy because it's all repetitive now. It is, it is what it is. It's just the left losing their mind. They want power so bad they'll do anything. As we'll see... And our far, far effect with the New York Times article that you would never see this. This is what's wrong with our media in a nutshell. But I want to thank the listeners. You know, this has been a weird month where I haven't done as much as I usually do. I usually do two a week, but listens were actually up 1,600. Sometimes less is better, I guess. Uh, incredible listens all over the place, uh, including uh, overseas. And that's just what I can track on SoundGuard. So thanks to the listeners. Um, good month of listens. So let's get a few things off the top. Megyn Kelly was shit-canned. There's talk that she wore an outfit they didn't like, but it really just comes down to she's from Fox, and there's way too much pushback. Um, a man in Utah sent the rice into the White House. The The media ignored it, even though there was a rice attack. Uh, all they talked about, of course, was the bomber and the synagogue. Um to, to kind of put a quick, I, I don't do a lot of synagogue today. The horrible act by a horrible human being that politics have nothing to do with it. But of course, the left is trying to twist it, and including this van that had Trump stuff on it, but he didn't vote for Trump. He hated him on his Facebook. The guy was really deranged. Joshua Albert is a freelance journalist, reports for lefty sites. This is what he tweeted. Can we stop gushing over law enforcement every damn time they stop a conservative extremist terrorist mass shooter? For starters, they're simply doing their job. Secondly, and more importantly, cops are why we have Trump in the first fucking place. Blood is on their hands. 
Maybe if police unions hadn't endorsed Trump, he wouldn't have won, and maybe then there wouldn't have been such a rise in GOP-sanctioned anti-Semitism and bigotry, and then just maybe they would have, wouldn't have been shot. Just a thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Washington Post, on the front page of the synagogue shooting, Lemon killed the shooting at Pittsburgh Synagogue. Trump allies Phil emboldened. They basically blamed him. Just blamed him. CNN at Chiron's Trump's rhetoric doing this. NPR said, hold my beer. The list of prominent people who were sent suspicious package reads like a Trump enemies list. Politicians and Trump critics who are often targeted in his rally speeches and tweets. A guy went to a baseball diamond and shot Republicans. The media never did any of this. No. And to close, before we go to Firefight, just get it over with. Get into it. This is Nathaniel Friedman from GQ. Soros is shorthand for Jew, and anyone who has ever said anything about Soros has blood on his hands. That's how far the media took it this week. Criticizing a man who hates the military, wants to overthrow our government and make it not what it is, has been run out of countries in Europe for trying to use this money to overthrow governments. He is what the Koch brothers dream they could be. And the media says if you criticize him, you're a Jew hater. I don't care if he's a Satanist. Soros is an evil person. His policies are wrong for humanity. He's a bad guy. But in our media, he's a good guy because he gives money to the Democratic National Committee. have been dozens of people dead in America today. What does the president need to do? Well, he needs to take responsibility for having addressed our fears and exacerbated our fears instead of inspiring our hopes. And right now, led by the president, we are in an overly passionate era. We're in an emotional time. Uh, His language, which is part showmanship and part incendiary, has, we now have proof positive that it creates a climate where the worst can happen, and it brings out the worst in us. You could debate and investigate the influence that this kind of material and rhetoric had on him. You don't know. Uh, that said, it, there's a clear match here, right? A lot of the faces on that truck, as Pamela was saying, were, were faces that he targeted. You know, he, he had crosshairs on our colleagues Van Jones, Michael Moore, etc. He, he had faces of some of the senators, Eric Holder, others who were targeted here. So uh, it, at least there is, there is a, an overlap between the kind of stuff he was sharing, the kind of stuff he was driving around on the truck, and, uh, and, and the targets that he, that he chose to target with these real IEDs. And it struck me the similarity in some ways, or at least the parallels, to lone wolf terrorist actors, uh, ISIS folks, etc. 
you know, self-radicalized. They radicalized by things on the Internet, uh, violent Islamic terrorism. This guy radicalized by violent intentions, you know, with domestic political targets acting on his own. Uh, at least that's what's assumed at this point. But parallels to the way lone wolves who do international terrorism uh, hear a domestic terrorist, in effect, who, who had a similar path. This feels like a spot. I have this fear that it could be some Russian operation, too, in designed to do what's happening now. More of this, you know, and so in some ways we shouldn't rule out. Um, I mean, right, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just it saying is, it's a it very is dividing very uh, Yeah, these people have been Willie. They've been among the most vocal critics of Donald Trump. Um, they've, uh, everybody remembers Robert De Niro at an award show, uh, standing up on stage and, and, and dropping an F-bomb. Uh, directly on the president's head, uh, and that then that piece of of <coughs> of video, the De Niro video, featured very prominently in the propaganda film that Steve Bannon released uh, at the beginning of the midterm elections uh, back around Labor Day. Uh, the, the Robert De Niro, very much a bogeyman, along with George Soros, along with Maxine Waters, and the kind of person who is a staple of far right uh, anti democratic rhetoric. Uh, someone who's called out frequently in Republican ads and Republican rhetoric. I can't quite remember whether President Trump has ever explicitly singled him out, but certainly he is the kind of person who uh, takes, uh, who, who has become a, a figure of, of hatred for many on the right, who see him as a figure of hatred on the left. Um, but it, look, the, the composite picture here, Robert De Niro fits right in with the, with the other yeah. uh, recipients of these packages in terms of the role that he has come to play and the, the position that he occupies in the political cultural firmament, um, this is not one that, is a, that, that deviates from the pattern. It's one that reinforces the pattern uh, of where these bombs have been sent out uh, over the course of the last uh, 24 hours. Well, in fact, John, to answer your question, you'll remember at the Tony Awards in June, as Robert De Niro yeah. was introducing Bruce Springsteen, he did say F. Trump a yeah. couple of times, and the president did respond, writing this in a tweet, Robert De Niro, a very low IQ individual, has received too many shots to the head by real boxers in movies. I watched him last night. Truly believe he may be punch drunk. I guess he doesn't realize the economy is the best it's ever been, with employment being at an all-time high, and many companies pouring back into our country. Wake up, punchy, wrote the President of the United States. So, John, again, we want to say what we've said a couple of times this hour, and I'll say it again. We do not know who is sending these packages. The FBI has not determined that yet. The NYPD does not know yet. That's a fact. But what That's we can fact. say is that this long list now, up to eight people who have received the packages or that they've been intercepted and intended for, fit a certain profile of Democrats for the most part and people who have been in conflict with Donald Trump in public view. Yes, and, and not, again, not just people who have been in conflict with Donald Trump. They have been the, they have been the marquee names of the anti-Trump, uh, <laughs> of the resistance, of the anti-Trump uh, Democratic uh, crit critics of Donald Trump. And, and they have also been not just that, but they have also been the most high-profile targets, in many cases, of the president's rhetoric uh, when he has attacked the left. 
Um, we've seen it again. We played all the video. We can play it all day long. These are people who have have been fierce critics of the president's, and then have become whipping people, whipping boys and whipping girls, whatever you want to call them, for the president on on the stump. Uh, and and again, not just in in the president's rhetoric, but also in the rhetoric of a lot of conservative media, uh, whether it's in the form of advertising, whether it's in the form of online commentary, whether it's in the social media. These are people who are who you hear. Uh, cited again and again and again mm-hmm. in conservative rhetoric as the people who quote hate Donald Trump or hate America that this this list is is pretty much the rogues gallery uh, that the right has decided to target. It's the president speaking in Wisconsin, uh, speaking quite hypocritically. I, I just have to say uh, he talked about explosive devices being sent to former uh, government officials. He made no mention of an explosive device sent to this building behind me, the headquarters of CNN, a news organization he routinely attacks. He calls reporters the enemy of the American people, and yet he said it's the media's fault for the kind of reporting that media organizations have been doing. What the president said at the top of the hour about today's attempted bombings is noticeable for what he left out, namely any of the intended victims. To President Trump, a former Secretary of State, and two ex-presidents are, in his words, merely former high-ranking government officials. He gave no names, nothing to indicate he sees them as individual human beings and distinguished former public servants, as two former presidents of the United States. He also made what appears to be a first attempt at something familiar, putting the perpetrator and victim on equal footing. He also made no mention either of the bombs sent to the offices right behind me here at CNN. Anderson, he also did not take responsibility at all for any of the heated rhetoric. Uh, tonight you could hear him sort of spreading around the blame and talking about the media there, you know, saying, um, let's stop the hostility. What he's looking for is someone who agrees with him. That is not in the First Amendment at all. That is not our jobs, quite frankly. But we did not hear the president accept any bit of responsibility for something that he and his supporters uh, do and lead. He uses the bully pulpit. He has that unique ability with the bully pulpit to um, uh, set the uh, tone here. And we learned tonight exactly how he's going to do it. And it's not what he said earlier today, a call. But can we do something about what might have inspired it? I want to say the answer is yes. We all know this atmosphere is too mean. We're consumed by negativity. Insults are now a proxy for insights on all sides. But I'm not one who sees equal blame spread all around. Our president cannot escape special scrutiny. He is at the head of the hate parade and way too often. Clearly reading prepared remarks at a rally, he seemed not to give a damn. He showed tonight that he will not be the one to make the change. He never spoke about his own words or deeds, not once. And on a day that his opponents were targeted, he didn't even name them, let alone extend a branch. Two former presidents and their wives, their families, one of them his former election rival. And then he put it on us, the media, and us alone to be better and less negative. Unbelievable. And the crowd roared. He is one that calls opponents the enemy, calls a free press the enemy, celebrates violence toward the media, celebrates force as strength, targets the same folks who receive the packages, and he knows it. And he likes it. When he's counseled that the presidency demands different behavior from within, he refuses. When he told, when he's told that he is factually wrong from without, he doubles down. More and more, he just flat out lies. Even when he's told 
that he's calling himself something that is ugly and divisive, he doubles down. I am a nationalist. Jingoism? Really? Come on. We are better than this. And he's not the only part of the problem. Maybe not even the biggest. Look at the cottage industry on the right that has glommed on to him to forward their pernicious agenda of extreme ideas. They profit off division, literally. They twist the truth. They deceive you. They are not journalists. They are jingoists and frauds. Just hours after the discoveries today, before we knew a damn thing without a shred of proof, they started blaming Democrats. That, as we say, is a lot to unpack. Trump is an ISIS lone wolf inspiring terrorist guy. Todd brought Russia back because nobody's running on Russia. If you actually check your ads, nobody's talking about Russia. Russia isn't a thing right now because Russia never was a thing. Dems are the persecuted one because he doesn't see him as human. That, that's Anderson Cooper. Fox News bash. There was no pretense of objectivity. Getting the story right. Just using the story to push their narrative. They're emboldened. And they're exceptionally audacious because of the midterms. Because we get these poll numbers and a lot of them are fake polls. I call them fake polls. And... And one of the pollsters comes, Kanye leaves, and Kanye's really a great guy. He's a little different, do we say? He's a little different. But he is, he's a smart guy and a good guy. Uh, but I think in a time when our political debate has gotten so rough, and frankly when the president at times you know, calls out and impugns the integrity of the FBI, impugns the integrity of the Justice Department, I believe in many ways he basically, this is a, assault on rule of law and that brings us to the election security piece but before Um, you move on to that a lot of people feel the way you do senator that words matter why don't a group of you all get together and just confront him and say you know mr president this is not helping you've got to stop it so many people come on this program and say exactly what you're saying this is wrong this is bad oh what are we going to do it's very tit for tat but i know there are people that feel a lot of people that feel the way you do in very powerful positions Why don't a group of you just confront him and say, stop it? Jim, as we look at these images, I'm stunned. I'm stunned that we're now at package 12 in midtown Manhattan. We're a day away from people. I realize actual Halloween night is next Wednesday, but this weekend, you're going to have people all over New York City and other cities in masks, carrying packages. This is, this is one of the scariest times in our calendar year. How does law enforcement handle themselves at a time like this? I want to focus this a little bit for you and the audience and, and, and certainly New Yorkers, and we all love New Yorkers and, and what they're going through here. These bombs and these parcels are very small. They can kill you if you open it on your desk and it's a, a foot in front of your chest. That's the way these packages well, are Well, that's designed. how we open our mail, Jim. No, no, that's what I'm saying. But it's not going to kill anyone on the street who's running away. So one thing to get in your mind is this is a targeted bomb. This is not a massive car bomb placed in the street that can kill people for blocks. So I just want to just help people understand the type of device you're dealing with here. So just keep that in mind. It's it's not an at-large danger to everyone in the street in Manhattan uh, for a parcel bomb that's found in a mail sorting facility. Prior to this week's spree, postal inspectors say they'd investigated just 16 mail bombs in recent years. Now, in a matter of days, at least 10 explosive devices and potentially more out there. 
And as investigators hunt for a suspect, they're also asking people to keep a sharp eye out for the hallmarks of a male bomb. We get those details from NBC's Tom Costello. A staggering 150 billion pieces of mail move through the U.S. postal system each year, including nearly 6 billion packages. Postal inspectors say there are certain telltale signs of suspect packages, often lopsided with an irregular shape, sometimes with protruding wires, aluminum foil, or stains. Suspects often use excessive postage to avoid going inside the post office. Their handwriting often distorted, and the return address is often fake. While the Postal Service has systems to detect explosives or biochemical agents, it can be like a needle in a haystack. The Secret Service screens the mail for anyone receiving protection, including former presidents. Capitol Police screen mail for members of Congress. And since 9-11, many companies, including media companies, have been scanning their own mail. But most American families and small businesses are on their own to watch for suspect packages. If it doesn't look right, isolate the package, evacuate, and call police. So, we have a problem. And we have a president who doesn't seem to believe he has a role to play in dealing with it. And I think that is what is making this more of an uncomfortable situation in our politics. So what, Chuck, changes here? You and I have sat here on how many Sunday mm -hmm. mornings and talked in the day after something like this about rhetoric. Yeah. And it, from the top down, you mentioned the president, but in right. our politics, generally speaking, there's no sign beginning with the president that he's going to change his approach to politics, the no holds right. barred going out and having his rally anyway yesterday in Illinois and doing what he does. Is this going to get better? If so, how? I don't think it gets better. I think it gets worse mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, the president sets the tone. Uh, people will respect. He sets the tone of politics. He sets the rules of how you conduct politics. Whether anybody likes it or not, the per he is the head of our, uh, our, our government and he is the head of our political world right now. And so he's setting the rules and, and you, just like there's the rule in physics, every action gets an equal and opposite reaction. And so how he conducts himself is going to trickle down. And so until he changes his ways or sets a different tone, the tone isn't going to change. So the question's going to be, do elections matter, right? Does the election have an impact on this? And I think the question that I have, and I'm sure others do, is what role does this last 72 hours play in the minds of some undecided voters that are sitting out there and, and, and vacillating here. Do they want to send a message? Is this some, a message that they want to send out? I, I can tell you this. Politically, every time the president uh, has had one of these moments where he sort of mishandled it, post-Charlottesville, mm. things like that, he's had a dip in the polls. I will tell you this is the, a bad nine days for the Republicans to have the president in this kind of uh, pickle. Yeah. Midterms, nine days out. Americans say they're fed up with this kind of politics. We'll see if they mean it when they go out and vote. They want Trump gone so bad, the media does, because they fucking despise him and everybody who voted for him. The New York Times literally did this. And an op-ed in the New York Times contains a suggestion about what Trump-critical Republicans should do. New York Times opinion. Here's a midterm suggestion for Trump-critical Republican voters. Vote Republican in Senate races... But vote Democrat for the House to put a check on the president. That's the New York Times. That's the New York Times. And you couple that with what you heard in that soundbite. MSNBC and CNN actually fear-mongering. When you go to the mall, look for bombs. 
We should vote against Trump because he's evil. And then you have these wahoos. First, Howard Dean were fighting evil, which is Republicans, and Camerata saying, well, he is the killer. Look, evil lurks in the hearts of men, <laughs> and it does. And what Trump has tapped into is evil. Uh, and eventually we'll overcome that because the Republicans are always about the past and they're always about fear of the future. And the Democrats have made plenty of mistakes, but they are about the future and, and idealism and making America a better place. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, hope wins over evil, but it takes a long time and it lurks. At, both of those lurk in humankind. And that's what this struggle about. For ne- this has now become a struggle about good versus evil. And the president of the United States is evil. A midterm messaging we'll start with from the president. So he seems to be zeroing in on the two pillars of the media, continuing his vitriolic mm-hmm. attacks against the media, and migrants mm-hmm. continuing to, in fact, ratchet up the language about them. Dis- and, and frankly, I mean, I have to say it, using some of the same language that the mass murderer at the synagogue used in terms of invaders and invasion. These tragedies work at cross-purposes with right. his narrative. Right. So it's hard for him to celebrate his narrative mm-hmm. of vilifying migrants when, again, the alleged mass murderer did the same thing. Do you ever remember a Democratic president ever being accused of being a crazy pipe bomb killer or a synagogue killer? Do you you ever remember the press ever saying anything like that? And if our present press isn't liberal, why would they say that? I mean, Don Lemon, he took it to the next level. It's all white people. It's not just Pittsburgh. It's not just the bomber. There was another hate-filled criminal just last week in Kentucky. Another white man, history of violence, custody for shooting and killing two African-Americans at a grocery store, Kroger's. But what he tried to do was barge into a predominantly black church. He failed. And then he picked a secondary target. He's being investigated for hate crimes. Don Lemon is here right now. We barely had time to cover it because we were distracted by another extremist Mm. that was doing bad things in the name of hate. Yeah. And then now another one. And you have all of them in a row. And, you know, we talked, we messaged about this a little bit this weekend. I keep trying to point out to people not to demonize any one group or any one ethnicity. But we keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else. Some, some, some people who are marching, you know, towards the border like it's imminent. And when the last time they did this, a couple hundred people came and they, you know, most of them did get into the country. Most of them tired, you know, got tuckered out before they even made it to the border. Um, so we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about Could you say that about black people ever? Could you say black people... Um sell drugs more than anybody else black people kill black people more than anybody else black people are destroying chicago could you say that as a white person but he will say over and over that he doesn't say anything bad about america he doesn't think america is a bad people uh bad country uh we're just trying to point out the facts what are the facts what are the facts 
Last month, a black woman shot up a fucking business. Media ignored it. Sure, scientifically, there's more white people that are crazy shooters. Well, there's more white people on the planet, dumbass. But could you get away with that? Could you actually utter these things about the president, about a whole race on Fox News and get away with it? The press habitually says that the loss of trust in the media is based on Trump saying the media is fake news. Fake news was coined by the left, by the way, not the right, and then the right co-opted it. But when you report like this and say things on Twitter like Matthew Dowd, Rich, are you acting dumb on purpose? This shooter was anti-refugee, anti-immigrant, and he was obsessed with heists a group involved in settling refugees, which the synagogue in Pittsburgh was involved. Why do you know, What do? who do you know has been anti-immigration and ref, refugee because he blamed Trump? Rich Lowry, please, Matt, the president didn't make the scumbag an anti-Semitic kook. Trump obviously says many things he shouldn't and no president should. That doesn't make him an anti-Semite or mean he's inciting mass murder. But they did it. Media leftists blame Jewish conservatives and Trump supporters for Pittsburgh shooting. They even blamed Ben Shapiro, a Jew, for other Jews dying. In the aftermath of shooting at Pittsburgh Synagogue, which left 11 dead and at least 6 injured, including 4 first responders, leftists and media raced to score political points, blaming Jewish conservatives and Trump supporters for the action of the virulent anti-Semite. The shocking statements peppered social media as leftists scrambled to score political points. The strange missive came from GQ reporter Julia Ehoff, who wasted no time in suggesting that conservative Jews who cheered President Donald Trump's decision to move the American embassy in Israel to the capital city of Jerusalem were responsible for a sudden rise in anti-Semitism. She clearly believes precipitated Saturday's attack. Her exact tweet. And a word to my fellow American Jews. This president makes this impossible. Here's where you live. I hope the embassy move over there where you didn't live was worth it. Sean Davis. Did you just blame a man whose daughter is an Orthodox Jew? The same one you were fired for attacking for murdering Jews? Ehoff, Ehoff, whatever the fuck her name is, defended her statement for nearly 24 hours by finally deleting it in the early hours of Sunday morning. But instead of quietly apologizing to Trump Jewish supporters, Ehoff penned an extended screed in the Washington Post, laying out the case for her tweet, claiming Trump's demagoguery inspired Saturday's violence. But she wasn't alone in blaming American Jews who decide whose policies she disagrees with for supporting policies that led to Saturday's shooting. Leftists across social media may not have been as direct as Ehoff, but there were plenty thinking the same. John Harwood torn to Paul Ryan for encouraging anti-Semitism. Ryan called the attacks anti-Semitic, said the nation will not tolerate this bigotry. Yet Ryan's own super PAC has been accused of airing campaign ads that were targeting Democrats in racially coded language. Vox's Matt Iglesi attacked Scalisi, who was grievously wounded in a politically motivated attack last year that the media ignored. David Duke without baggage for Scalisi. 
A Louisiana reporter once claimed Scalise made that observation about himself, but Iglesi left out the rest of the story, instead selecting a politically advantageous moment to trot out bizarre ancient quote. This is in bad taste, and below you, Matt, somebody said, Ned Runyon. But the rhetoric must be toned down, the left says, as they tweet out absurdities like this. Jeff Yang. The attack on the softball game was barely planned assault, which a man who had two legal weapons simultaneously, spontaneously, brought them to public area and used them in a firefight. It was a horrific tragedy, but the man had no idea who he was targeting until he got there. Yeah, that's another tweet about it's not that bad. Just a conservative. Fuck it. I mean, that's what the media said. Fuck it. They still blame Trump. But the worst was from Atlantic, which published its own piece blaming Jewish conservatives for Saturday's violence and suggesting Jews who support the president or any pro-Israel policy be shunned from their religious communities. Mike, a Nazi murders Jews and the Atlantic blames Jews ugly and hence the security of Jewry should involve shunning Trump's Jewish enablers. Their money should be refused. Their presence in synagogues is not welcome. They place the community in danger. Any strategy for enhancing the security of American Jewry should involve shunning Trump's Jewish enablers. Their money should be refused. Their presence in synagogues is not welcome. They have placed their community in danger, the Atlantic proclaims in an article. It was okay. It's okay. You can do that. Under Democratic presidents, you're racist, sexist, you're something wrong. But everything that goes wrong in America, you must blame the GOP. And you can go as bold as you want. You don't lose your jobs. You don't get shunned. You don't even get censured. Think about the rhetoric that's happened over the last two years. It's not been Trump saying things. It's been the left getting people's faces, reviews them service. All of Trump's supporters are racist. Anybody who voted for Trump is racist. But I digress. Ryan Savandra has a better compilation. I'll play it in a second. Of just the media saying things. Like Trump should get shot. But there was some pushback. Eric Erickson duped it out with Katie Turr. I also think uh, there are folks on the other side who need to tamp down on rhetoric as well. We had ricin attacks against Susan Collins and Ted Cruz last week and protesters chasing people out of restaurants. I think both sides need to calm down, which is one reason I think it's not very helpful right now is who started it. Both sides can say the other side did. What what we need to come to a uh, consensus on is that both sides need to stop turning the base over to the fringe and the angry mob and actually return to the better angels of ourselves and actually try to get things done, but I don't know that either side really wants to. With all due respect, sir, and I said this at, at 12 o'clock earlier today, I think that everyone has to take responsibility for their own actions and the own, their own way in which they respond to this presidency, etc. And I, I, don't, I don't condone anything that's happened to um, Susan Collins or Ted Cruz or anyone getting yelled out of a restaurant. I think that's abhorrent. Uh, but I do think it's pretty clear when you're talking about this toxic political environment that it did start with, <laughs> with mostly with Donald Trump in 2015. He, began his campaign by calling Mexicans rapists. He uh, repeatedly cheered on crowds that were screaming, lock her up for Hillary Clinton. He told protesters that he would pay their legal bills if they punched 
or supporters if they punched protesters. Right. He's, and hold and on, do you I, go I'm back still to going. Barack He's Obama also, no, and take a gun to a knife fight or no, two no, no, Hispanic no, no. voters that Republicans are going to meet? Do we go back to the Eric, Weather Underground in 1960 or Tim McVeigh in the 1990s? Have you ever heard a politician other than Donald Trump say, I'm so proud or, 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 or give a kudos to another politician who body slammed a reporter? Have you ever heard that from anybody else other than Donald Trump? Well, and Katie, the response oh, no, really, Eric, really Eric is, is going to answer that. this question. Hold on, Donna. Have you heard I that from anyone that else? I think Donald Trump is a is a symptom of what's going on in this country. Um, the, your your blood pressure going up over Donald Trump right now is my a symptom blood pressure of what's is going, going up country. because he's, Both, he's, he advocates violence or or he but, or he you know, celebrates point, violence. Donald for, Trump for is not to blame for, for the people. mass shooting against Republicans last year. You had re- Democrats saying that Republicans were killing people. Um, both sides are to blame, and if you're going to say it's just Donald Trump. What you're going to do is you're going to have 50% of the country say, you know what, she's not really interested in a solution. I think both sides have to step back and say, what is our own side doing? I think everybody needs to take responsibility for their own actions, but to say that it didn't get get lowered, that the bar did not get demonstrably lowered when Donald Trump started running for office is just not true, and it's offensive. I'm sorry. I think he's more a reflection of politics and not a cause. They ignore the left. They ignore everything they do because they believe in it. Remember, it's morally justified, as Chris Cuomo said, to punch somebody you disagree with. If they're at a right-wing protest. Half the protests that went racial, there was a fringe group out there that was racial. Just like there's a fringe group that wants to attack conservatives. But in the media... The fringe group with the tiki torches is the right. And the fringe group who sends ricin, shoots up a baseball game, attacks Paul, uh, attacks fucking um, Rand Paul, beats up people, torches fucking cars. That's not the left. You can't broad brush them. Sean Hannity also had a good segment on this, and I hate Sean Hannity, but it's worth a listen. Yesterday, former VP Joe Biden even compared the president to George Wallace. Today, he's singing a much different tune, tweeting, this country has got to come together. Oh, okay, crazy Uncle Joe. You can't go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have an Indian accent. You know, really, we got a lecture from Joe Biden, crazy Uncle Joe? And this is true of many Democrats. Remember Hillary Clinton? What did she say? We can't be civil with Republicans. Remember this? You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. Oh, today now she's singing a different tune after actual criminal acts against Democrats. Oh, it's only if it happens against Democrats. I'm beginning to catch on here. Now she's calling for us all to come together. Take a look. It is a troubling time, isn't it? And it's a time of deep divisions. And we have to do everything we can to bring our country together. Really? You said we couldn't be civil. Oh, that was last week. Oh, I understand how that works. See, people think people on the right or conservative-leaning like me take it too far. 
We, we blame the media. Well, Ryan Savandra, a reporter, tweeted the following. Media, we've never encouraged violence against Trump. Also media, people have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And he put it all together. And this is just a, a few instances over the last year that the media has called for violence. If I went back to every one of my podcasts and pulled all the times military coup, somebody should shoot them, New York Times opinion in our last podcast of uh, snuff porn of Russian agents shooting the president, but their gun doesn't work and the Secret Service hands them their Glock. Do we remember? The media has called for it. The media, who has a broader influence on American people have called for violence on the right, promoted violence on the right with their suckling of Antifa's tit like Chuck Todd. And the masses have gone out and done it. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. We messaged about this a little bit this weekend. I keep trying to point out to people not to demonize any one group or any one ethnicity, but we keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else. Some, some, some people who are marching you know, towards the border like it's imminent. And when the last time they did this, a couple hundred people came and they, you know, most of them did get into the country. Most of them tired, you know, got tuckered out before they even made it to the border. Um, so we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about that? And called him out. Yeah, it would have been a very different. So I, I told Jeb Bush after that debate that I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, "Well, what do you think I should have done?" I said, "I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero." Uh, Ted Cruz had his father accused of killing Jack Kennedy, and he's using him in the race. In ads, I think he's bringing him down. He's bringing. He, he all he did was call Dad an assassin. An assassin. And but I, I need his help. You know, a lot of it's like I keep thinking of a guy driving, a woman or man, you bought it. ...with a very important country, not only for geopolitical reasons, but because they meddled in our election and there's investigations going on. I can't accept that as an excuse, and I think other people should press him for a better answer. What was your response, Phil Mudd? A couple surprises. Let me give you one bottom line. As a former government official, government's going to kill this guy. He defends Vladimir Putin. Their State Department and CIA officers are coming home. And at Langley and at Foggy Bottom, CIA and State, they're saying, this is how you defend us? And, and we, uh, Phil, before, uh, I, I mean, I want to ask you a question, but Phil, just to reiterate, obviously, when you're talking about killing, you're using that as a metaphor. You're yeah, not talking about yeah. I, I, I just, I just <laughs> What I'm make... saying is, is government, people talk about the deep state. When you disrespect government officials who've done 20 or 30 years, yeah. they're going to say, Really? You send the, Vladimir Putin sends officers home, and you support him before you support. I just, yes, I just want to, I just yes. want to underline, Amanda. Crystal Walker, how do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Why can't she just say, if a staffer said that, we're going to get to the bottom of it, and she'll be fired? 
Well, I think a lot of people were surprised, uh, Nicole, because there was an anticipation that she would have something to say. There have now been so many reports, including ours, confirming the account. Reporters, including myself, who've spoken to people who heard Kelly Sadler make these remarks. And so I think there was an anticipation that the White House uh, would at least have comments similar to at least the statement that they put out overnight when they praised John McCain. Instead, Sarah Sanders sort of took a step back from that and said she wasn't going to comment on this situation at all. And so you saw the attempts there to sort of try to get at it from a much broader perspective. And then to try to nail down the facts of what actually happened, I asked her repeatedly if our sources are lying to us. Uh, she ignored that question outright. So uh, it, it is a very striking tactic that the White House is taking. They clearly are hoping this will help to turn the page, will help it to go away. But Nicole, as you've been discussing, it does shine a light on the tone and the culture within this White House, within Washington right now, and within our politics more broadly, I think. It's just a question. I'm not insinuating anything. By the way, this is going to be in the press. It will be horrible. But I'd like, I like that you're all a part of it. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? <laughs> New details today on the incident that left Senator Rand Paul with six broken ribs. This might be one of my favorite stories, although, of course, we don't. Uh, one is, uh, clearly, Senator Paul is still struggling. Paul's neighbor, Renee Boucher, is accused of beating the senator. And GQ reports that lawn care issues may well have been at the heart of the dispute. A neighbor told the magazine that Boucher pays about $150 a month for professional landscaping. While Paul maintains his yard himself. I guess that's the libertarian in him. The neighbor also said that part of what bothered Boucher was the difference in grass length between his lawn and that of Senator Paul's. And that Paul sprayed grass clippings onto his yard while mowing his own grass. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The reason for the first assault on a sitting U.S. senator in decades. On the other hand, if Donald Trump uses the powers of the United States government to cover up his own criminality or to cover up the way in which he cooperated with Moscow in order to win the presidency, uh, that may or may not qualify as an ordinary federal crime, but it's certainly an impeachable offense. Or if he decides, you know, I'm simply not going to protect the United States from foreign attack. I'm busy making money. I'd rather be a kleptocrat than carry out my oath. That's not a crime, but it's certainly a basis for removing a president. And if the evidence that Robert Mueller is collecting forms a kind of compelling case that a overwhelming bipartisan majority of the American people find convincing that this guy is just too dangerous to keep in power, then we do have the emergency power of impeachment available. But it will be available only if we don't use it loosely and, and kind of ring the bell every time uh, something looks amiss. You can't be the boy who cried wolf and expect to have a viable impeachment power. You can't use it over and over again against the same president. Right. You, if you're going to shoot him, you've got to shoot to kill. And that requires an overwhelming majority of a bipartisan kind. Otherwise, uh, you're just going to nick the guy and make him feel empowered and vindicated. Right. You look at the two examples we have in history of Clinton and, of course, President Johnson. Johnson got by, I think, by, what, one vote or something. But if you don't... One
Yet the media pretends, like Oliver Willis, it's hard to impossible for conservatives to just say, fellow conservative Republicans, stop being violent, period. Instead, they have to fill their stories with nonsense about Dems, none of whom have called for violence. None. It's like they're in a different world. If you ask the average American non-political who is not a media sycophant, who just like doesn't watch the news all the time, they're going to say the left. If they watch the news and they're brain dead and they're a CNN watcher and MSDNC, they're going to say Trump's at fault for everything because that's what they're told every day. But the average American, like my wife, who doesn't watch the news... She saw it briefly and goes, all the left has done is called for violence. That's all they've done. That's all they've done. Brian Seltzer, in the quest to prove the right is a bunch of crazy wahoos, went to a rally and then tweeted about it and did an article. One of my 2016 media coverage regrets, I never went to a Trump rally. So this fall, I plan to attend one in this thread. I'll share some of my observations from Charlotte. Of course, he went to Charlotte. But what he seems to have found is that many of the Trump supporters of the rally don't really mean what they say when they shout things like CNN sucks. CNN correspondent Jeff Zellini and producer Betsy Klein are here. A loud CNN sucks chant broke out when reporters lined up for 5 p.m. live shot. Then a man walked over to me and said, nothing personal. And he found, yes, some are insulting, but many others are really friendly. Lots of reporters have pointed this out, and I'm seeing it firsthand. Groups cheer CNN here, but individuals ask for selfies and say, we're glad you're here. Yes, some are insulting, but many others are friendly. I have, I've been having so many conversations, not much time to tweet. When you're in the press pen, you can sense that people are taking pics of you, zoo-like, but often after he posted his pic, John came over and took a photo, a proper photo, together. We both smiled. And he tweeted it, fake news here in Charlotte, and linked him. And even this guy with a shirt that is a president of Calvin body from the best comic strip ever, Calvin and Hobbes, urinating on CNN logo, turned out to be nice to Seltzer. Seltzer. This gentleman came to press pen and mocked me, but then said... We love you, we do. Tim Funk. Trump rally, Bill Williams to Charlotte offers thumbs up and more for the president's um, bashing of CNN. His article, My Conversations with the Crowd. One moment, one moment, you're the fakest news. The next minute, we're glad you're here. Lots of reporters have pointed this out, and I saw it firsthand on Friday. Groups of t- Trump rallyers jeer CNN. The individuals ask for selfies to say they watch the network. Yes. Some are insulting and intimidating, but many others are friendly. I have some in-depth conversation with attendees before Trump arrived. Here's another example. A loud CNN sucks champ broke out. Reporters lined up for 5 p.m. live shot. Then a man walked over to me and said, nothing personal. But others screamed, Lion Brian, and heckled me during a live shot. The takeaway? Some people seem to think the enemy of the people stuff is just performance, kind of like pro wrestling. But others seem to really believe it. Lesson learned, Brian. Don't judge a Trump supporter by his shirt. Problem is, the left doesn't think that way. They get wrapped up in the moment, They, but they live. We must hate them. 
video of Trump going to the Pittsburgh hospital to visit the casualties, all you saw was the protesters. But all you see on Twitter is people literally saying, thank you for hearing the being nice. Curtis Hoke. Wait, so you're telling me that people organized a protest of Trump's visiting a synagogue where Jewish people were slaughtered, a rabidly pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel, and believe Jews must end their occupation of Palestine? That's irony. David Martosco, that big anti-Trump protest today in Pittsburgh was organized by a group called If Not Now, whose goal is to end the Israeli occupation of Gaza and the West Bank. The coalition today... Democratic Socialists of America and the International Socialist Organization. He's a reporter. He reported it. But CNN, MSDNC, NBC, ABC, CBS, they know who those people are. They probably fucking donate to them. But they're not going to tell you that that group is just faux. They're faux. They're fake. Other examples. Tree of Life Rabbi says he's getting threats for welcoming Trump to the synagogue memorial. He's received death threats from people angry that he welcomed President Donald Trump to Pittsburgh to attend a memorial service for his slain congregants. Rabbi Jeffrey Myers led service at the Interfaith Vigil Sunday evening for the 11 members of his own synagogue of person attack which took place while he was leading his own congregation in prayer. He had just began Sunday morning service, the Daily Breeze reports, when a gunman burst through the door screaming, all Jews must die, and opened fire. But despite the tragedy he'd only just watch unfold, Myers says he became the victim of new attack, this time reaming out of the daring to suggest Trump was welcome at the synagogue and encouraging the president to visit Pittsburgh for the memorial, like Obama did with his kumbaya bullshit. On Monday, CNN anchor Allison Camerata tried to goad Myers into blaming Trump's rhetoric for inspiring the gunman who launched the attack and pressed Myers to disavow Trump, who then planned to visit the Pittsburgh Memorial. Myers responded that I don't really foist blame upon any person. And the president said, the president of the United States is always welcome. I'm a citizen. He's my president. He's welcome. That was enough to anger the president's opponent, according to Myers, at least to torn a hate in the rabbi's email box. When I first said that the president was welcome, I received a lot of emails, too numerous to count. I received many that are not happy with those words he said. Those emails also contain hate. It just continues in this vicious cycle. We need to be better than this. We can be better than this, he said. Inside Edition reported Wednesday morning that some of those emails contain death threats, though that are, hasn't been independently confirmed. President Trump and his family, including his wife Melania, his daughter Ivanka, and Jared Kushner, paid the respect to victims of the massacre, and all there was was protesters outside. I do believe that it would be best to put the attention on families this week, and if he were to visit, choose a different time to do it, Democratic Mayor Bill Peduto told CNN. They don't have it in them. There's a difference. Kooks hate and do mass murder. Conservatives dislike and may say lock her up. And they may say CNN sucks. But they don't shoot up baseball games, send rice into people. The pipe bomber's been proved to be a conservative with a... Scooby-Doo van? 
but the shooter was an anti-Trumper. That's why it dropped off the radar. Anti-Trumper. If we really wanted to fix the hate in our world, if we really wanted to fix the problems, the media would be the start because they push a narrative, not the truth. And out there right now are some lipstick-putting-on people, just like Billy Madison, thinking about how they're going to kill a conservative to get payback. And as Ryan Savandra shows, you can't blame Trump for that. You can only blame yourself. Let's go to a music break. Some more Christmas, even though one of our last stories today is they say it's bad for your health. Are you fucking stoned? Today I'll be putting up my Christmas village and bows of holly on the way. I can do the inside of the house. That's all I can do. And then I got to tear down all the Halloween. So, I think they're lying. Christmas music is good for the soul. And they'll go into hate tweets. Got a couple sound bites. Enjoy.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. If somebody asked you, what do you care about? What would you say? Losing your health care. Equal pay. Equal rights. What really, honestly matters to you? Look, if you're worried about your pre-existing conditions, if you can't take another school shooting, what matters to you? Civility. Kindness. Dignity. Freedom of the press. Freedom of speech. All of our freedoms. Do they matter? Seriously. Seriously. Do they matter to you? Then vote. If you care about immigration. Children being taken away at the border. If gun reform matters. Climate change. Health care for young, for old matters. Then, then vote. vote. If basic human rights matter, then vote. If women's rights really are human rights, then, then vote. vote. Don't lose hope. Vote as if it matters, because it does. Get out and vote. It matters. On November 6th, we're all in this together. Text VOTE to 43367. Independence USA PAC is responsible for the content of this advertising. Well, one of them went bad. It's a bunch of Hollywood now, because I got Will Ferrell and down in Georgia. They think they can win things by bringing up stars again. And I just look at it and laugh. That worked really well for you in 2016. So... My hate. These are ones I selected because I hate stuff like this. Number one, John Levine. NBC News Twitter banner is an image of the migrant caravan. The Peacock. That is a major news network with a migrant caravan. You can see where they align. Here's a coalition to stop gun violence with the hottest hot take ever, CGSV. Go to a gun show and you will find bomb-making kits. The NRA is more than guns. It's using violence as a means to impact political discourse. It is dangerous. So the NRA made the bomb guy and the synagogue person. Okay. Yeah, I got it. Former Congressional Press Secretary Rochelle Ritchie called out Twitter for not taking action against the man now suspected of doing the bombings. Rochelle, hey Twitter, remember when I poured the guy who was making threats towards me after my appearance on Fox News and you guys sent back a BS response about how you didn't find it that serious? Well, guess what? It's the guy who's been sending bombs to high-profile politicians. Richie had reported on October 11th in a tweet that Caesar Sayoc wrote, We unconquered Seminole tribe will answer your threats. We have nice silent airboat ride for you here on our land, Everglades Swamp. We will see you sure. Hug your loved ones real close every time you leave home. Twitter found no violation of Twitter rules. Then, because she's a Democrat, Twitter came back. An update. We made a mistake when Rochelle Richie first alerted us to the threat made against her. The tweet clearly violated our rules and should have been removed. We are deeply sorry for our error. Yet every time a conservative pushes out, hey, 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 hello, they're saying kill this person. Hey, they're saying kill the president. Twitter doesn't find a violation of terms of service. Isn't that interesting? But our tweet of the day is on the same line as the gun control. 
NRA has been kind of backdoor on this because they've been going really more migrant, trying to push the Twitter, you know, Trump's a piece of shit. I, I think they're confused on what they want to run on because they all ran away from the craziness and went back to, hey, we're good politicians. We really want to fix this country because they realize Trump's the devil, Russia, immigrants. They're losing on all these subjects with the American people. And gun control isn't going to happen because Americans realize it's a dangerous world right now with liberals running around trying to fucking beat people up. But there's still those out there that got to keep pushing it. For some reason, this hot take refuses to die. Keeping in mind that requiring voter ID has been shot down as racist and a non-starter by many municipalities, progressives cling to the idea that it's too difficult to vote thanks to voter suppression efforts like the GOP voter ID. Anyway, Nate Lerner is executive director of something called Build the Wave, so it's understandable why he's already making excuses for less than expected voter turnout. Nate Lerner, if only Republicans have made it hard to buy a gun as they made it to vote. Right Glock Mom. He's doing something wrong, Jack. Remove his blue check for being so dim. Register to vote same day. Three days for firearm purchase. 30 days for concealed carry permit. And you need an ID to buy a gun. Why shouldn't you to vote? But my best response, or the favorite that I pulled off this thread... Is from Klaus Flauten. If only it were as easy to get a gun as it is to tweet something stupid. People are so fucking dumb. So we're going to go into our ads now. And I had a HuffPo one, but it was just horrible. The Daily Caller was bipartisan. Not the Daily Caller, I'm sorry. The Daily Wire was way more bipartisan. They hit both. So, let's start. So Joe Biden has said that he believes Republicans don't want black people to vote. Well, I'm a Republican. I want black people to vote. In fact, I want everyone to vote who's eligible to vote. I believe that a voteless people is a hopeless people. Truth is, the democratic business model is reliant upon keeping black folks dependent on the government. Countless people have died for our right to think and to vote for ourselves, yet Democratic leadership asks us to outsource our voice on a straight-ticket ballot to a godless party that neither represents our values nor our economic best interests. We've marched from Selma to New York. We've rebelled from Watts to Detroit, and ain't nothing changed in 50 years. The Democratic Party leadership cares more about the black vote than the black people, and it's time to wake up. It doesn't have to be this way. We can have a seat at both tables, and we can elevate our people together. John James for Senate, a Michigan son, an American patriot. I'm John James, and I approve this message. That is John James. He tweeted it out, Michigan, and he's an African-American. I thought it was perfect. A perfect start to our ads, because that is the big left statement Oh, they're trying to, they don't want black voters because we're still trying to make up for us basically doing Jim Crow and slavery. Well, okay. San Francisco spends $300,000 to register non-citizen voters, a whopping 49 sign up. And this is supposed to be for local elections. But once again, 
We know how that works out. Taxpayer money to have illegal aliens vote. I thought that was very succinct on what's wrong with the left. But it's not the only one. Florida moles letting felons vote again because they're pissed off that they couldn't pull it out. As stated earlier, Georgia Dems calling help from Hollywood to try and save another political race. Will Farrell has arrived in Atlanta for fire up young GA Dems. You've got 11 days to get it done for Stacey Abrams and Sarah Riggs Amico and Dems across the state. Sign up and volunteer, and together we will turn Georgia blue. Jeb, because Hollywood has such a good rep at turning out the vote. <laughs> No, but to the day, the uh, Daily Wire article, the good, the bad, and the weird, most memorable political ads of 2018. The campaign of 2018 has brought out some odd candidates and some either, even odder commercials. There was the guy who pepper sprayed himself in the face, the guy who compared President Trump to Osama bin Laden, and the guy whose ad was literally a dumpster fire. So let's take a quick look back at the good, the bad, and the really weird from this year's campaign. The first one is Brian Kemp. I'm going to play it, and then we'll talk it over. But it involves a shotgun. I'm Brian Kemp. This is Jake, young man interested in one of my daughters. Yes, sir. Jake asked why I was running for governor. I said, one. Cap government spending. Two. Take a chainsaw to regulations. Three. Make Georgia number one for small business. And two things if you're going to date one of my daughters. Respect. And? A healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. We're going to get along just fine. Brian Kemp for governor. Yeah, that's really bad. Brian Kemp's Georgia Secretary of State is running for governor, prompted outrage from some folks in the ad in which he holds a shotgun while interviewing a prospective suitor for one of his daughters. In the ad, Kemp sits back in an easy chair holding a shotgun while he asks questions of a young man called Jake. Kemp's serious face states, Jake asked why I was running for governor. Number one, Jake replies, cap government spending. Number two, take a chainsaw to regulations. Three, make Georgia number one for small businesses. And two things, if you're going to date one of my daughters, Jake, respect. Kemp and Jake, a healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. Kemp closes the shotgun as he replies, we're going to get along just fine. Then he finally smiles. That's just a fucking horrible, horrible commercial. I'm pro NRA guns. You do your thing. I got mine. But you probably shouldn't incorporate in an ad. It's just pretty. It's a divisive subject right now, to be quite honest. The next one is the prepper praying poli- pepper spraying politician. A Democratic candidate for the House of Representatives of Colorado came up with a novel solution for stopping school shootings. Pepper spray. And who better to illustrate? than himself. In the ad, Levi Tillman running the June 20, 20, June 26th Democratic primary for the right to square off against incumbent GOP Representative Mike Kaufman begins by stating, Washington needs more doers and innovators. That's why I'm running for U.S. Congress. I'm calling on Congress to stop talking past each other and try something new. Then he gets weird. Empower schools and teachers with non-lethal self-defense tools, he says as he reaches for some off-screen, like this can of pepper spray. Pepper spray doesn't cost much, 
and it can be safely stored to break glass in case emergency happens. But it's powerful and won't accidentally kill a kid. Trust me, this will stop anyone in their tracks. He closes his eyes and dramatic music plays. Tillman is sprayed in the face. He quickly dips his head in a tub filled with soapy water to save himself from the agony. It's incredibly painful, he says. The ad didn't work. He lost his primary race. And now we get to listen to it and laugh. In just a few years, he'll be in school. And Donald Trump wants to give his teacher a gun? More students have been killed in school shootings in 2018 than U.S. troops in combat operations. We need common sense gun control, but that's not enough. There are 310 million guns in the U.S. and millions of assault-style weapons. I'm Levi Tilliman. Washington needs more doers and innovators. That's why I'm running for U.S. Congress. I'm calling on Congress to stop talking past each other and try something new. Empower schools and teachers with non-lethal self-defense tools like this can of pepper spray. Pepper spray doesn't cost much, and it can be safely stored in a break glass in case of emergency cabinet, but it's powerful and won't accidentally kill a kid. Trust me, this will stop anyone in their tracks. It's incredibly painful, and now I just can't see anything. Wow, that's intense. For less than $1 per person in the U.S., we can have a secured canister of pepper spray in every classroom in America. It's just unbearable. It's like lava in your eyes. I'll go to the mat for our kids and community, not Washington Insiders and Corporations. I still can barely see anything. I just see light. I see white. I see the outline of the tree vaguely. Oh my god. Talk is cheap. Washington needs doers. It needs leaders to break through the partisan gridlock and build a better future. That starts with making our schools safe again. That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. Just dumb. Then there was this wahoo, trumpeting Trump. While some Republicans were steering clear of the president, Representative Don DeSantis, a candidate for governor of Florida, went with a different strategy. DeSantis released an ad in which he fully embraces Trump's fearing, featuring his wife, Casey. Everyone knows my husband, Ron DeSantis, endorsed by President Trump, but he's also an amazing dad, she says as he's shown helping his toddler daughter, Madison, play with cardboard building blocks. He tells her to build the wall. In another scene, he pretends to read a copy of Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, to his infinite son, Mason, narrating, Then Mr. Trump said, You're fired. I love that part. In another snippet, as DeSantis is seen teaching Madison how to talk, he prompts her with, Make America Great Again. And I, you yeah, know, here it is. 
Everyone knows my husband, Ron DeSantis, is endorsed by President Trump, but he's also an amazing dad. Ron loves playing with the kids. Build the wall. He reads stories. Then Mr. Trump said, you're fired. I love that part. He's teaching Madison to talk. Make America great again. People say Ron's all Trump, but he is so much more. Big League. So good. I just thought you should know. Ron DeSantis for governor. I think this is wrong on so many levels because this is what we, we as conservatives disparage Democrats for doing, brainwashing their kids. So you probably shouldn't have your kids building walls and reading Trump's Mein Kampf. I mean, seriously, folks. Next one, Sour Siblings 2018 feature one ad that likes of which we've never seen before. Dr. David Brill, an Arizona Democrat running for Congress, featured six brothers and sisters of Republican appointment, Paul Gosnar, the incumbent. The ad title, A Family Defends Its Honor, shows Gosnar's siblings, Tim, Jennifer, Gaston, Joan, Grace, and David, delivering disparaging remarks about Gosnar and his agenda. The ad takes a stark turn when you find out that pro-Brill folks are actually Gosnar's brothers and sisters. Paul Gosnar, the congressman, isn't doing anything to help rural America, says Grace at the start of the ad. Paul's absolutely not working for his district, asserted David. Before his brother Tim adds, he's not listening to you and he doesn't have your interest at heart. I endorse endorse Dr. Brill, says one sibling enthusiastically. Another adds, wholeheartedly. Brill, who looking to unseat the representative from Arizona's 4th Congressional District this November, appears at the end... Sorry, I got a page free. And... Of the ad to endorse the siblings' message. They feel this is a matter of civic duty, making their public statements even more compelling, Brill said at the ad via a statement. I greatly appreciate and admire the courage of the Gosnar family in stepping in the national spotlight for this vital message, he added. We all must honor their dedication of working to build a better future for America. This is commitment I believe in and I'll fight for. Gozar, a heavy favorite who held the seats since 2013, reacted to the ad via Twitter writing, My siblings who chose to film ads against me are all liberal Democrats who hate President Trump. These disgruntled Hillary supporters are related by blood to me, but like leftists everywhere, they put political ideology before family. Stalin would be proud. (laughs) The article ends with, Thanksgiving this year is likely to be very unpleasant. What the fuck is wrong with this family? Jesus! Here's the ad. Paul Gosar, the congressman, isn't doing anything to help rural America. Paul's absolutely not working for his district. If they care about health care, they care about their children's health care. They would hold him to account. If they care about jobs, they would hold him to account. If he actually cared about people in rural Arizona, I bet he'd be fighting for Social Security, for better access to health care. I, I bet he would be researching what is the most insightful water policy to help the environment of Arizona sustain itself and be successful. And he's not listening to you, and he doesn't have your interests at heart. My name is Tim Gosar. David Gosar. Grace Gosar. Joan Gosar. Gaston Gosar. Jennifer Gosar. Paul Gosar is my brother. My brother. And I endorse Dr. Brill. Dr. Brill wholeheartedly endorse Dr. David Brill for Congress. I'm Dr. David Brill, and I approve this message. I would never vote for somebody who did this to another person's family. I just wouldn't do it. 
And I hope he fucking loses big time. The next motherfucker did lose and big time. Democrats are, this is Osama bin Trump. Democrats, of course, targeted Trump during the 2018 campaign, like Dan Helmer, who was running a Democratic primary for Virginia's 10th congressional district. He declared that the new Osama bin Laden-level threat to the country is none other than the current President of the United States. Actually, Helmer suggested he might even be worse, because rather than living in a cave, he lives in D.C. After 9-11, the greatest threat to democracy lived in the cave. Today, he lives in the White House. No one, not even the President, is above the law. Helmer, an Iraq war veteran and Rhodes Scholar, presents himself as a political outsider, someone who is different than other candidates on the ballot. In the ad, he says he's for Medicare for All option and is committed to fighting the gun lobby to protect children and not guns. The gambit didn't work. Helmer finished fourth in his primary, winning just more than 6,700 votes. But he wasn't done. He also made this horrible bad ad in which he copies a scene from the film Top Gun where Tom Cruise's character Maverick sings to You've Lost the Loving Feeling. So here are two of Helmer's ad. And thank God this moron fucking lost. I'm Dan Helmer. I approve this message. I'm different. I'm not a politician. I'm a Rhodes Scholar who served in combat. I'm for a Medicare for All option and against drug companies that rip off seniors. I'll fight the gun lobby to protect children, not guns. After 9-11, the greatest threat to our democracy lived in a cave. Today, he lives in the White House. No one, even the president, is above the law. Barbara Comstock has beaten every politician. I'm different. Congresswoman Comstock. Hey, Dan. Isn't that Congresswoman Comstock back there at the bar? Sure is. Bet you can't get her to hold a town hall. Town hall? Do you want better than that? We've lost that love and feeling. No, Dan. Never hold town halls anymore with constituents. Land Parenthood and Obamacare you voted against. You're trying hard not to show it. But Barbara, Barbara, you know it. You've lost that centrist feeling. Cause you've been right wing appealing. We've lost that love and feeling, now it's gone, gone, gone. You've got to go. Nice work, Dan. Thanks, Maverick. I'm Dan Helmer. I approve of town halls, bad singing, and this message. Democrat Dan Helmer is running for Congress in Virginia's 10th District. Learn more at HelmerForCongress.com. That's just bad. That's just super bad. Super bad. But the actual worst of all is the dumpster fire. Richard Painter, who served as the chief White House ethics lawyer for Bush W., put out an ad in which he stands in front of a burning dumpster 
Some people see a dumpster fire and do nothing but watch the spectacle. Some are too scared to face the danger. They think it's a benefit them and they just let it keep on burning. Others shrug and say, oh, all this talk of dumpster fires is just fake news. This painter running for Senate, Minnesota. There's an inferno raging in Washington. But here in the land of 10,000 lakes, Painter says, as a cascade of water extinguishes the raging fire, we know how to put out a fire. I just think it's common sense. You shouldn't relate anything to your campaign with the dumpster fire, which I think this guy's campaign is a dumpster fire. I haven't checked the numbers, but we'll play this because it's over. Next week, we'll stop. Tomorrow, I'm going to early vote and get it over with. And... I had to take some bad choices and vote for freaking Marsha Blackburn, who I can't fucking stand, but I cannot have the other guy. And I can't have any of these guys, any of them. Just I cannot do it. All the Democrats that are running right now, I know them for when they were, you know, in charge of shit. And they're fakes. They're phonies. They come across, you know, especially Bredesen. He comes across, I'm here to work. I'll work with Trump if it needs to happen. No, you won't. He's on video saying, you know, a thousand immigrants aren't a problem. Stop. He doesn't care. He's a lefty. He's going to run like every other lefty in Tennessee, the South period. Oh, I'm for this. I'm for guns. And then right afterwards, they're going to ban everything because they're liars. I'm not saying the GOP's better, but in the South, they're big time liars. All right. They're not going to back up anything they say. So let's dumpster fire videos. Go to another Chris, Christmas music break. And we go into news, social media nuggets. Some people see a dumpster fire and do nothing but watch the spectacle. Some are too scared to face the danger. Or they think it will benefit them if they just let it keep on burning. Others shrug and say, oh, all this talk of a dumpster fire, it's just fake news. There is an inferno raging in Washington. But here in the land of 10,000 lakes, we know how to put out a fire. I am Richard Painter, and I approve of this message. Mistletoe is hung 
the tree is trimmed, the carol sung. I want, ooh, I want. at the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, we have right see two. these girls? Yep. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales! Yeah, he's in the military now! Three notes and ten notes! Off we go into the wild blue yonder, climbing high into the sun. Here they come, zooming to me. and be all you can be for it's an adventure for the few, the proud, the brave in Military Corner. Military Corner. Five Gitmo detainees swap for deserter Bo Bergdahl join Taliban's office in Qatar. Yeah. You get a traitor, piece of shit, and they're back in the game. Hmm. Sorry. I that we've lost so many people over Bergdahl, Bergdahl. He was a traitor's piece of shit. Only Barack Hussein Obama could ever do a military thing like this. Bring him up like they're fucking great when her, his father looked like a Taliban. It was fucking horrible. The truth came out about them F-22s. 
Hurricane Michael, 17 damaged. I'm sorry. I'm not talking as a taxpayer. I'm talking as a soldier. Um, whoever responsible for that should be kicked out. I, I'm sorry. Why the fuck didn't they fly away? You fly helicopters away for big storms. Hunter First has done it. Jesus. The military's obsession with energy drinks is contributing to PTSD study finds. A recent study found a significant association between energy drinks use and mental health problems, including symptoms of PTSD. Getting adequate sleep is increasingly rare among the active military population, a frequent deviation from the body's natural circadian rhythm due to demanding operation op-tempo personnel in, in a ongoing struggle against the ever-persistent Sandman. To combat sleep deprivation unique to its demographic, service members often turn to energy drinks, a prominent component of combat deployments that has become a paramount to mission success as piece of protective gear. The prevalence of energy drink use in these settings is extraordinary. The lifeblood is virtually everywhere and tends to cost nothing, resulting in an environment which nearly half of deployed troops down at least one readily available crack can per day. But while consuming these drinks, many not hurt service members in their wallets, excessive use may very well be contributing to long-term mental and physical ailments. The author of a study surveyed over 600 male infantry soldiers during a post-deployment period after the brigade combat team returned 12-month combat deployment to Afghanistan. Questions were designed to examine the association of energy drink use with sleep deprivation or insomnia, depression, anxiety, PTSD, alcohol abuse, aggressive behavior, and fatigue. What the authors found was that over a course of the month leading up to the survey, more than 75% of the soldiers consumed, consumed energy drinks. More surprising, however, was that 60% of the soldiers in the study reported continuing to consume two or more energy drinks per day in a post-deployment period. High energy drink use, which was classified as consuming two or more drinks per day, was significantly associated with those surveys respondents who reported mental health problems, anger-related behavior, and fatigue, the author found. These, the, those consuming less than one energy drink per week reported those, those symptoms at a significantly lower rate. Also a note is that energy use in the Army infantry sample was five times higher than previous studies that analyzed consuming patterns of airmen and general population in the youth. I say bullshit as I slop down a uh, Pacific Pipeline monster. It's a new one. It's so good. I drink one to two a day. I don't have PTSD. That's like saying cancer is caused by coffee because uh link to everybody with cancers that drink coffee no shut up i don't think it's good for you but sleep deprivation is part of the infantry way hell when i got back from afghanistan i had a hard time doing more than three hours of sleep because i only slept two hours in increments i mean sure there's rare nights when we didn't have anything and i got like eight hours sleep but it was very rare beds were uncomfortable it's just part of it so no no why the Army wants to keep hamburgers from returning Fort Carson soldiers a secret. There's an old saying that no good deed goes unpunished. Whoever penned that line may work at Fort Carson, which has banned the media from covering a local tradition of handing out hamburgers to troops when they arrive home from overseas. For years, local volunteers have handed out hamburgers to troop plane side at Military Terminal at Colorado Springs Airport. A tradition that goes back to 2004. 
The army is certainly a fan of free food, but the brass of the post fears that allowing news coverage of a ritual would violate federal regulations that prevent the government from endorsing businesses or charities. So regulation has been enforced in spotty fashion over the years. Fort Carson's ties with Pike Peaks or Bust Rodeo and other troop-boosting events have been public and the press is encouraged to attend. But the hamburgers are somehow different. The Post maintains... So when about five dozen soldiers came home from Afghanistan on Thursday as part of a mid-tour of a rotation, the hamburger handing was done under a veil of army secrecy. Let's cut some red tape here. The hamburger in question came from McDonald's. The volunteers are from a local charity. The home front cares, and the soldiers seem to enjoy them. But remember, keep it on the down low. Speaking of military secrets, Trump's Space Force plan r- remains in limbo, but that hasn't slowed military efforts to plan for war in orbit. The annual super-secret Shriver ga- War Games this month put American allied leaders through the paces in a fictional scenario set in 2028 that saw war extend into orbit. I read that portion because I couldn't believe task and purpose, a military thing, I keep on bashing them. How liberal they They had to get a Trump bash and a fucking hamburger story. The problem with this, it makes no sense. They're not linking it. Money is sent to them through donations from people that get the stuff. There is some donating. Local coffee shop donated forever coffee for the homecomings here. And they had their moniker on it. On the, the crafts. But... Come on, it's a fucking hamburger. It's just a hamburger, but it's a nice tradition. Shows how fucked up we are. U.S. troops troops deploy overwhelming force against Iceland's beer supply. And I thought this was hilarious. U.S. troops landed in Iceland last week and have a start of the largest NATO military exercise since the Cold War. And apparently they left their mark in the most appropriate way. By drinking every last beer in the nation's capital. A significant number of bars in downtown Reykjavik were forced to make an emergency beer run in the onslaught of thirsty American sailors and Marines. Local media estimate the 6,000 and 7,000 U.S. military personnel exhausted beer sellers across the Icelandic capital in the span of a single week. <laughs> You go, guys. 50,000 troops of 29 NATO allies plus Sweden and Finland are participating in Trident Juncture 18, backed up by 65 naval vessels, 150 aircraft, more than 10,000 vehicles, all of which make for thirsty work. And if anything, Trident Juncture will leave NATO leaders with one important strategic, strategic collusion, conclusion. Excuse me. When all else fails, you can always drink the enemy under the table. That's fucking fantastic. Fantastic. Second to last military corner, the Navy hopes Hunter Killer does for submariners what Top Gun did, and no, because the movie's fucking horrible. And lastly, 15,000 troops, including the Screaming Eagles of the 101st Airborne Division, are heading to the border. Liberals are losing it, media's losing it, but 10,000 motherfuckers should not come in this country just because Democrats want them to vote for them. Just my opinion. Shouldn't be a reason. You don't know who's in that shit. And not all of them are political prisoners. So shut the fuck up. To our college crazy. And our pit starts us off. This is what democracy looks like. Opinion. 
As the midterm election draw closer and incivility and even violence are getting worse, sadly, last year's shooting of Scalisi did not result in cooler heads. Harassment of political figures, a restaurant calls for the death of Republican senators, and actual attacks on Republicans have garnered headlines. Over the past few weeks, we've seen the progressive mob arrest GOP senators on Capitol Hill and their communities. While many academics might not like the stories Campus Reform publishes or our watchdog style of journalism, rarely do they dispute the facts presented in our stories. The mob made it very clear as they protested in the halls of Congress that they don't believe in due process and the right for the accused to face their accuser, innocent until proven guilty, and that anyone with an opposing point of view deserves to be shouted down, assaulted, and silenced. But the mob's behavior didn't start on Capitol Hill. It began on our nation's college campuses. The assault on freedom of speech on our campuses pervades all areas of student life, on the quad, in the classroom, and even in what used to be private lives. At the Leadership Institute Campus Reform, we reported on bias-free language guides, professors' monologues that push a leftist political ideology while falsely maligning conservatism and on universities offering course credits for and even funding political activity in favor of progressive political ideology. Conservative students who dare to oppose the leftist group think are socially ostracized, physically attacked, and even penalized with lower grades. A Northern Arizona University student was doctor-grade for using mankind in an English paper. Higher education is supposed to push young adults outside their comfort zones, challenge them with new ideas, and teach them to develop their own opinion and engage respectively with those they disagree with. This cannot happen in today's environment of intimidation. This is why I joined the Leadership Institute Campus Reform, a student-driven website blowing the whistle on higher ed's failure to protect the freedom of speech of conservatives. Academics must restore intellectual diversity and culture of respect, civil discourse on our campus. We're proud to be able to give conservative students a voice, often on national television, and even see our reporting affect real change. For example, students at East Carolina University can once again thank God when they receive their diplomas. Yes, a professor really did ban that. While many academics might not like the stories we publish or our watchdog-style journalism, rarely do they dispute the facts presented in our stories. It is often said that facts are stubborn things, so when critics can't dispute the accuracy of campus reform article, they attempt to discredit by questioning the journalistic standards and authors in the site. We publish real news. Liberal bias and abuse don't happen because of campus reform reporting. It's been rampant for decades. On most college campuses, the type of outrageous behavior we're seeing on Capitol Hill is normal, even applauded. It won't change without public exposure. The new slogan of the left is, Democracy dies in the darkness. But sunlight is still the strongest disinfectant. Campus reform helps to cure what ails American college and universities today. And the watchdog journalism of student whistleblowers is what democracy looks like. Good autumn. Great article. It's where I get a lot of my stories, where pretty much everybody gets their stories. And if you haven't checked it out, check them out. Campus reform. Fantastic. To some of their stories. Exclusive report. 96.1% 96.1% of University of Texas administrators, 93.5% of faculty, donate to Dems. But Oregon, my beloved Oregon Ducks, are probably going to lose again this weekend because the quarterback's got a concussion. Well, they said hold my beer. 100% of Oregon administration and 99.95% of faculty donate to Dem. $98,000. That's why I don't live in Oregon. 
University Student Union offers free burgers for petition signatures against conservative government policy. On Monday, October 15th, the University of Toronto, Mississauga, Mississauga, whatever, Student Union, UTMSU, held a barbecue offering free burgers in exchange for signatures on a petition renouncing Ontario PC progressive conservative Premier Doug Ford's decision to freeze the minimum wage hike passed by the previous administration. The University Student Union budget is funded through student tuition. This brings to question the ethical ethical implications of having students pay for blatantly partisan political event reproving the conservative premier. The UTM student, Madhu Magalala, who attended the barbecue, described being instructed to sign a petition against Doug Ford's minimum wage policy in exchange for a ticket he could redeem a burger. Aside from signing his name in dissent, there was no way to get the advertised free food. The Daily Wire reached out to Student Union President Philippe Nagata, who confirmed the event's details but insisted that if a student refused to sign the petition, they were not supposed to be denied food. Moreover, Nagata told the Daily Wire that the barbecue was in solidarity with student workers. The student union president has previously expressed strong support for liberal government wage hikes in his Twitter. The University of Toronto Masugoga campus conservative pre- president Mark, or excuse me, Harris Watkins, commented on the politicized student event the following statement. Speaking first on the Ford government decision to freeze the minimum wage at $14 an hour, we are, of course, a proponent of basic economics for this policy. As per the Bank of Canada, the scheduled increase of minimum wage for future, as per 2017, are to account for the following misfortunes of the Canadian economy. An employment decline, the tune, and blah, 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 and it goes on, and I'm not going to read it. But that just doesn't, no, doesn't surprise me. I'm sure plenty of this shit happens here, and we talk about it every week. Like a pro-life, yeah. Pro-life perspective absent from Reproductive Health Week. Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science in Chicago hosted a Reproductive Health Week, but the event did not appear to offer any pro-life perspective. The school hosted a workshop aimed at transgender and non-binary individuals, as well as screening of a film showcasing healthcare providers performing third trimester's abortion in a compassionate light during the week. Their schedule, Monday, 10-15, period pack drive collections begin, donate boxes of tampon pads, panty liners, and cleaning wipes and collection bin. Tuesday, 10-16, after Tiller filming screening, a film that presents the complexities of women's difficult decision to have a third trimester abortion, or what we like to call murder. Wednesday, 10 pearls of care and sexual assault patients. Thursday, maternal fetal medicine. Friday, the fourth trimester. I don't even want to know what that is. Hmm. But most this week was cultural appropriation. Gonzaga panelists tackle suicide at cultural appropriation event because if you appropriate an Indian costume and your sister's running around as a cowboy, you're killing somebody. Oh, I got it. Gonzaga University hosted My Culture is Not a Costume panel in which students from the school's Asian American student union, La Raza Latina, Queer Student Union, Hawaii, I didn't know queer was a, is a fucking race. Wow. Hawaii Pacific Islander Club and the Black Student Union. The school's queer student union president, Jeffrey Gung, with two O's, suggested that people consider that individuals have committed suicide when they get mocked for wearing a tie other would consider a costume. Hmm. <clears throat> Jeffrey Gong made the comment on campus titled, 
Campbell's event titled, My Culture is Not a Costume, during conversation regarding the way in which dressing up as other cultures for Halloween can harm members of those cultures. The university hosted the event as part of the monthly series called Courageous Conversations. If you're weighing something like comedy over someone's identity, just like, just like know that when kids like dress up and then they get bullied and then they commit suicide. If That's what he actually said. Or they hate themselves. They pretend like they don't want to be something that they're not. Just be like, oh wow, is this really a good thing to do? Gung said, Gong said, whatever the fuck his dumbass name is. Because there are tons of kids who do commit suicide when they get ridiculed at school. Just to be aware, it's really not funny at all. The panel defined cultural appropriation as that which is involving a privileged group misrepresenting and disrespecting marginalized students. The originators rarely get credit and always deal with the consequences. Member from all these other stupid unions were there. During one of the panel discussions, Gong, the president of the queer student union, complained about cross-dressing party on campus, also mentioning guys wearing nail polish or like wearing makeup like the stuff is like a huge battle that people have a like wrestle with all the time. This is him talking with the like, and I just want to slap kids when they do this. And then to have like a whole form do it just to have fun thing. It was uh, like a huge slap in the face. Really upsetting. Like, really disappointing. Like, get rid of your crutch word. After the panel discussed, audience members addressed questions such as, why is cultural appropriation harmful? How is a privilege manifested in the cultural appropriation? And what examples of cultural appropriation have you seen on Gonzaga's campus? But a guy, a guy, Augustana, I don't even know how to say this, Augustana? Augustana. Whatever, college. Pleads with students to pledge against cultural appropriation. Augustana College in Illinois, never heard of it, hosted an event in which it asked students to sign a pledge promising not to appropriate any culture. The College Office of Student Inclusion and Diversity defines cultural appropriation as the adoption of elements of a culture that is not your own. The Gerber Center for Student Life titled, There's No Custom Costume in Culture, Inviting students to raise their awareness of cultural preparation on college campuses and social consequences. The Office of Student Inclusion and Diversity Facebook page shared photos of poster for the event defining cultural preparation as the adoption of elements of culture that's not your own. The Office of Student Inclusion and Diversity invites students to discussion about awareness of cultural preparation on college campuses and the social effect appropriation creates. Students will have the opportunity to sign a pledge promising not to pro- appropriate any culture and may also buy a shirt from the office for $5 in the brew. The poster. There's no costume and culture. Wow. That they did a lot of photoshopping on that one. That's that's a fucking great little flyer. UC Denver Police Halloween. Oh, excuse me. Polices, sorry, I'm just fucking up. I can't even read today. Halloween with work culture, not a costume. Princeton student government issued a checklist. Inclusive Halloween. Prince Doween. These are, these are people that are going to go make like $20 million more than you do in their lifetime. They're so educated. And this is what they worry about. A Prince Doween approaches here are some tips and reminders to create a fun, safe, and inclusive experience for all students. If you're thinking about a costume for this week, take some time out and ask yourself these questions. Is my costume making fun of a group of people? Does my costume have the potential to create an unsafe or hostile environment? Wearing an outfit is hostile. Are you fucking shitting me, you fucking snowflakes? Does my costume reduce cultural difference to jokes and stereotypes? 
Are you altering your skin color, facial body features to make it darker or indicate a particular race, ethnicity, or cultural group? Is your costume funny because you're dressing up as someone from a particular race, gender, ethnicity, or culture? As always, we want to make sure that uh, you all respect and take care of each other. Mm-hmm. But MSU said, fuck you. Hold my beer. We're going to give you a flow chart. That was really bad. And Utah admin calls cultural appropriation the baby of racism and capitalism. But I got a pro- a positive one in here. Superstore illustrates absurdity of cultural appropriation sensitivity over Halloween costumes. It is unfucking believable this aired. I watched the show because my wife likes it. But I'm so surprised because American Ferrara. And the other little twit fucking dude are both fucking libtards. But this went out. Last Thursday night, NBC Comedy Superstore showed us just how far our political correct society has gone with Halloween costume contests. The employees are enticed to participate in Cloud 9 store costume contests with a paid vacation day as a prize. This is everyone excited, especially Amy, American Ferrara, who is pregnant and wanted some TLC. When it doesn't look like she's going to win, however, she and another employee, the gay guy, Mateo, Nick Santos... Come up with a cutting tactic to knock top competitors out of the competition. Complain their costumes or cultural appropriation. Amy and Mateo go around the store to employees of different ethnicities to get them to complain about each other's costumes. It starts out with getting one Hawaiian employee to complain about the other person's hula costume, but quickly gets more and more absurd. Amy, hey Saeed, I just wanted to check in and see how you're feeling about Chris Aladdin's costume. How are you holding up with the racism? Mateo, I mean... I just seems to me like her costume is a slap in the face to your Latino culture. Amy, Saeed should know better. I'm sure a person of German heritage. This is very <laughs> fucking offensive. This guy was wearing later hosen. Paul, I'm not German. I'm French Canadian. Well, did you see Teddy in a dress as a hockey player? Mateo, can you believe that banjo he's carrying? As if all Southerners are tooth- toothless backwater rednecks. Tyler, I think he's Steve Martin. Mateo, Southern accent. I think he's supposed to be Steve Martin. That's what you sound like. Like many people in our society, everyone starts finding something to be offended about, including Amy's Italian Mario costume for fucking Mario and Luigi from the game. This leads to near cancellation of the costume contest, the horror of Amy and Mateo. Note how, like most liberals, they can't even explain exactly what a cultural appropriation is and why it's wrong. Marcus, I don't understand why Amy's allowed to wear a mustache, but I can't wear dreadlocks. Cheyenne, and I can't wear a grass skirt and coconut boobs. Isaac, let her wear the coconut boobs, you monsters. Amy, it's because those costumers, costumes objectify a whole culture. I'm not dressed as Italian. I'm dressed as a character who happens to be Italian. Marcus, so I'm not allowed to dress up as a Jamaican, but if I'm dressing up as Barb Marley, who happens to be Jamaican as Barb Marley, then everybody be Iremon. Amy, no. Sandra, what's the difference? Amy, it's just, it's different. And then it goes through, and I'm not going to keep reading the script because it's kind of gay that I did it to begin with. But it's just hilarious because by the end, they prove what's wrong with liberals. Everybody's offended. Zombies are fucking offended. Last night, we had 130 kids. There was pirates. There was all sorts of shit. There was a kid that came in as the Black Panther and he was white as snow. Nobody was offended. Bozell and Graham. What Halloween without racism charges. 
It's Halloween and time for another round of outrage over inappropriate costumes. Once upon a time, parents, most of them anyway, were concerned with over-sexualized costumes for little children. But how enlightened was that? Today we're focusing on an energy on what's really important. Now it's all about cultural appropriation. White children need to own their privilege and not dress up and pretend to belong as a non-oppressive race. Megan Kelly ran afoul of NBC's diversity inclusion pulse, police. And as we write this, it looks like she's canned for saying, but what is racist? Because truly, you, you do get in trouble if you are a white person who puts on blackface on Halloween or a black person who puts on whiteface for Halloween. Oops. The word blackface is loaded and should be avoided since people immediately think of minstrel shows and kids showing up as Al Johnson crewing Mammy and the Jazz Singer. Kelly continued, back when I was a kid, that was okay as long as you were dressing up as like a character. Not only was she tongue-lashed on air by NBC's Black News Star, it seemed like this gave NBC a reason to end her morning show, a cover story to Nick's cringe, the Fox Newswoman. It might have been a better starting point to ask if offensive for a white boy to want to be Black Panther for a few hours. And if that's wrong, can a person of color be Superman? Can a white comedian impersonate a black man? If not, then can a black man not poke fun at a white people either? And what does it say about white people that when that happens, we laugh? Oh, the intolerant preaching of the tolerant left. CNN analyst Kristen Powers is one of those obnoxious people the other day she tweeted, and we read it last podcast. This is the same Kristen Power who wrote a book in 2015 titled The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech. Back then, she worked for Fox. Back in 2015, after Powers' came, book came out, then Yale lecturer Erica Christakis sent an email around campus suggesting Halloween used to be a time for children to be a little naughty or subversive. She wrote about Disney princess costumes, saying, It's hard for me to get credence to a claim that there is something objectively appropriative about a blonde-haired child wanting to be Mulan for a day. I wonder what it is the statue of limitations on dreaming or dressing as Tiana, the frog princess, if you aren't a black girl from New Orleans. Is it okay if you're eight, but not 18? She even concluded, whose business is is it to control the forms of costumes of young people? It's not mine. I know that. Nearly a thousand students, faculty members, and deans called for Christakis and her husband, Dr. Nicholas Christakis, a Yale professor, to be fired immediately for his alleged offense. She stopped lecturing, and her husband resigned some duties at the end of the school year in 2016, and that was a young black girl screaming on a street corner. We played it. Powers actually spoke to the Christakis incident and others when she was on Fox Analyst in 2015. She said, it's not actually that anybody is in any danger, Bill O'Reilly added. It's oppressive to hear somebody with an opposing view, point of view, Powers replied. Exactly. They talk about it as if they've been actually physically attacked because somebody has expressed an opinion different than theirs. Now reread the tweet of hers. You have our permission to laugh quietly. There's nothing wrong with Halloween spurring a teaching moment for children. But what is being taught? Leftists want to use these costume controversies as just another grenade to destroy the careers of anyone asking them a single challenging question about how to negotiate their minefield. I hammer it home because now we're in the happy holidays mode. Where it's offensive for you to say anything to people because they might celebrate Seven Kings or Hanukkah or whatever. It's not about the cultural appropriation. It's not about Christianity. It's about owning the dialogue. What the left wants is the ability to shut everybody down and shut them up. They don't have to back up their bullshit. 
They don't abide by their bullshit. We talk about it on the show all the time. I present facts of everybody doing whatever the fuck they want and dogging white people and women and saying horrible shit to Dana Loesch. It doesn't apply to them. And as my favorite podcast I ever did, the transgender chat room about the cis-normative, <clears throat> they don't even know the rules because they keep making it up. They keep evolving safe words and not safe words and what it is because they keep losing elections. I think Swink Inc. or whatever that chick was we played for a lighter fair last podcast, she summed it up. They just want the ability to call you terrible things, silence you, and beat you down until you think like them. Because that's how they win. If I had little children right now, I would address them as Black Panther and Moana. Just a middle finger, people. Because it's absurd. Throw six or seven kids in a fucking playground in a sandbox, they play. They don't notice race. The kids that do have racist parents. And nine times out of ten, it's not the white kids. It's the black kids. Black kid came up on our porch last night. Black parents were sitting on the curb. They wouldn't even walk in our yard. My wife threw a bag. She does like these little treat bags. Five pieces of candy. Good candy. Not the bullshit because I bought it this year. In his bag and one with his sister. Where's mine? Did you give me mine? And she went to reach in to show him that she had dropped it. And she goes, get your hand out of my bag. He talked to my wife like she was a fucking piece of shit. Is it because he's a prick? A little eight-year-old fucking dickhead? No. His parents have already taught him white people are evil. All white people. That's why every time Don Lemons opens his fucking cock trap, because it is a cock trap because he's gay, literally, I play it. Because that's What's happening to these kids? It's happening on CNN, MSDNC, NBC, ABC, CBS. It happens in our college. It happens in our grade school. It happens in fucking high school and kindergarten. They're being told white people are bad. In this big play to make white people feel sorry for themselves so they'll vote against their best interests. No. No doesn't work plenty of black people don't vote that way either Asian people Oriental people same difference why did I say that I don't know Latina people they don't vote as a hegemonic block for certain brain think they vote for the best interest who's going to keep my taxes lower who's going to increase my wages who's going to improve the, improve the economy And I'll probably be wrong next week and they'll win one of them, the Senator of the House. But it won't be for long. They'll probably win the White House and it'll all flip back to non-liberal run government. And there's a reason. Your policy can't be everybody who doesn't vote for me is evil, racist, sexist, deplorable person. That can't be your policy. 
And instead of the left learning from their mistakes of eight years of Obama sitting on a podium saying everybody who doesn't agree with me is an ignorant piece of shit, you gun-hugging, Bible-thumping pieces of fuck, they've doubled down. Just doubled down and gotten worse. It's ridiculous, but let's move along. Big Mouth reveals Netflix penchant for sec- penchant, sorry, for sexualizing minors. This month's streaming kingpin Netflix welcomed into its fold a new season from an animated comedy which tore through desperately needed boundaries like tissue paper. Nick Kroll's show gives zero fucks, and apparently neither does Netflix. Kroll's Big Mouth is banally lewd cartoon that follows a group of sixth graders coming to terms with puberty. It's smutty sex humor with the cruel boast as no attempt to soften or dull the hard, big, crazy jokes. The trailer alone contains multiple depictions of series boy characters masturbating and teasing a conversation the female character Jess has with her genitals in a mirror. Netflix lacks any sort of meaningful contact restriction for minors and has a history of flipping flippantly promoting mature material. The company only affirmed the suicide romantizing 13 Reasons Why, even when the multiple groups, including psychologists, expressed concern about suicide prevalence in America. Melissa Henson of the Parents Television Council criticized Netflix Netflix again on October 17th, noting that any way the platform advertises Big Mouth is wrong. Either the writers are intending to put these highly sexualized images of children in front of an adult audience, are they deliberately creating a marketing graphic sexualized TV mature rated content to kids? Which is worse? To make matters even worse, Facebook is lending a hand too. Henson reported that Netflix is partnering with Facebook to deliver a new game called Handmasters. Play with yourself. The tweet in the company video publicizing the game unbelievably suggested sporting a salacious combination of emoticons. It's often said that politics are downstream from culture. If that is the case, Netflix is creating a toxic landslide and our children are standing in its wake. To go with this story, the Obamas lied and now stories are leaking out that they're going to be making anti-Trump movies. Keep telling my wife, I don't want to pay nine bucks a month for Netflix anymore. Just don't. It's not for us. New York Times hysteria, Trump's sex rules could legally negate transgender existence. Oh, really? New York Times were made appalled by Trump administration's stand for science when it comes to defining people of biological terms, either male or female. The news coverage was pitched to a panicked tone in Tuesday Times. At rallies and online, transgender people say they won't be erased. The headline to Sarah Mervosh and Christine Hauser's story showed how eagerly the paper latches onto any left-wing anti-Trump action that could scrounge up. Demonstrators gather outside the White House to oppose an unreleased Trump administration memo that proposes a strict definition of gender that would roll back transgender rights. LGBT activists mobilized a fast and fierce campaign that included a protest outside the White House on Monday to say... Transgender people cannot be expunged from society. In response to an unreleased Trump administration memo, imposed a strict definition of either M or F. Who is expunging transgender people from society? They would still be around and freely protest louder than ever. The paper again went hysterical in attributing an elimination stance with Trump administration. Quote, 
The new definition would essentially eradicate federal recognition of estimated 1.4 million Americans identify a gender other than one they were assigned at birth. That number is totally off. You saw such a massive response because this attack on the trans community is essentially trying to erase the trans community from the face of the planet, and we're not going to stand for it, Sarah Kate Ellis, President-in-Chief of GLAAD, said. Merrick Keisling, an executive director of National Center for Transgender Equality, said, This is really an intrusive policy that doesn't make any sense scientifically. Oh, really? Well, scientifically, either is not a choice either. Ms. Kaisling said her and her staff woke up on Sunday to the news of the memo and quickly released a response. The hashtag, hashtag won't be released, was appropriate for them, and Twitter took it up for them because they love them. The hashtag took off on social media as people posted photos of themselves or family members to show the face of transgender people who they noted would continue to exist regardless of the government definition of gender. Wait a minute. If transgender will continue to in fact exist, government definition or not, then what is this whole thing about? Good fucking question. Hmm. Under the terms of proposal reported by Times, the administration would adopt a narrow definition of either male or female. Such a move would not only roll back protections for transgender people, it could also legally negate their very existence. Even without the proposed definition of gender, many transgender people said they have felt the impact of the Trump administration's stance on LGBT issues in their daily lives. They said things have gotten harder. Oh, really? Hmm. The paper is very tied to the transgender issue as shown in the recent profile of an actor by overexcitable Times writer George Jean Gustines. Supergirl will be gaming, gaining a new ally, and we already talked about it. She's going to have a transgender ally on the show. Yada, yada, yada. Hmm. You know, pick one. There is no X. And if you're transgender, you're no longer male. You want to be female. You're no longer female. You want to be male. Well, then pick the one you want to be. How is that changing your life? How? Hmm. Feminist soul murder in New York Times. The dumbest anti-gun campaign and more left insanity. Less meltdown of Kavanaugh, rage pot luck, and hoot nanny has certainly been entertaining. Cory Booker concerned face alone was worth the price of admission. By far, the most amusing has been the spectacle of liberal men falling on their nerf swords to advocate the fiction that Brett Kavanaugh was guilty. Well, it doesn't matter what exactly. The important thing is that the bitter injustice enters the left media bloodstream and becomes conventional wisdom. This is something the left excels at. Supreme Court gave George W. Bush presidency. JFK was murdered by racist Texas conservatives rather than a committed communist. These feminist men can't debase themselves fast enough or thoroughly enough at the altar of feminist anger. Last week, Inunch Michael Kaufman from Salon assured us that we are watching the colossus of patriarchy tumble to the ground. Now, here comes Emory University philosophy professor George Yancey and the New York Times to rend his garments and declare, I am sexist. Yancey's Pete is so overwrought, I first thought it was satire. An effort to troll conservatives by spoofing the likes of Kaufman. In fact, that perhaps it is time that we lay claim to the movement. Hashtag I am sexist. Think about its national and international implications as we take responsibility for our sexism, our misogyny, and our patriarchy. I am failed and broken feminist. More pointedly, I am a sexist. There are times when I fear for the loss of my own entitlement as a male. Toxic masculinity takes many forms. All forms continue to hurt and violate women. If you are a woman reading this, I failed you. Through my silence and an uninterrogated collective misogyny, I have failed you. I have helped to continue to help perpetualize sexism. 
I know about how we hold on to forms of power and demonize you only to elevate our sense of masculinity. I recognize my silence as an artist's violence. For this, I sincerely apologize. Apparently, he's a genius. By the way, it helps if you imagine writing in the good Smeagol voice. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. He continues... The only appropriate response to something as embarrassing as this is grow a set. And normally I agree, but we aren't talking about just hurting and violating. Why these acts are soul murders, and not the kind that involve Michael Bolton covering Percy Sledge. Forthwith, I shall dispense with the narrative and detail some of these heinous spirit exterminations. Before I got married, I insisted that my wife take my last name. Monster. Either I should, without question, objectify girls behind behinds or I was gay there was no wiggle room for me to be both anti-sexist, anti-misogynistic and yet a heterosexual young boy as early as elementary school the young boys would play the game of pushing one girl into the girl into girls the idea was to get your friend to push you into a girl that you could find attractive in order to grind up against her at about 16 we used to play a game called catch a girl, get a girl there was no equivalent called catch a boy, get a boy this guy just goes on and talks about his all this shit article devolves from there but no 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 america treats women better than anybody else in the world and all this patriarchy bullshit you know go to anybody's house who's fucking in control it ain't the husband anymore not that i think it should be that way i'm just saying this is just more bullshit California-based company offered paid protesting service. Are you fucking shitting me? A California-based public relations firm is offering a paid protesting service to its clients. Crowds on Demands out of Beverly Hills offers protests, rallies, flash mobs, paparazzi events, and even inventive PR stunts, according to their website. We provide everything, including the people, the materials, and even the ideas. Are you shitting me? Well, maybe they're the ones that showed up at the fucking hospital. Hmm. That doesn't surprise me. Remember, it's AstroTurf, the fake face Nancy Pelosi said. Outsport declares World Series dream matchup of LGBTQ inclusive teams. Okay. Co-founder Sid Ziegler could not be happier with this year's Dodger Red Sox World Series, which is older over. It's a dream World Series for LGBTQ community, Claire Ziegler, the author of Fair Play, a book exploring how LGBT athletes have claimed their rightful place in sports. He considered this year's Fall Classic extra special because the Boston Red Sox and LA Dodgers have both strong histories of supporting the LGBTQ community. Here's my question. If all you look for is shit like that, are you wrong? Like this next article. Never satisfied. Satisfied. Now Glad wants 10% of characters on TV to be LGBT. The next step is going to be a lot harder. When will Glad ever be satisfied? Following a report showing the broadcast TV has a record number of gay characters, formerly named Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, Glad, is still saying Hollywood needs to be better. Though the study released on Thursday shows that 8.8% of characters on TV are gay, a full 4% above the 4.5% of LGBT individuals in the U.S. population, GLAD demands that Hollywood up the number to 10. According to Hollywood Reporter, GLAD President Sarah Kate Ellis met with several industry insiders to discuss ways for networks to further increase gay representation. 
on screen, even though numbers show they are, in fact, quite overrepresented. The event held at the United Talent Agency headquarters in Beverly Hills featured people like Greg Bertalani, executive producer of The Arrow and The Flash, and even the senior VP product leadership at Nielsen, Brian Furrer, who announced the company's plan to partner with GLAAD to expand Nielsen National Survey to include same-gender couples. Because that's what I need to know what the gay people are watching. Okay. The next step is going to be a lot harder to follow our individual uncoupled panelists to self-identify, Furrer said. While this is big news, I don't want anyone to perceive that we're stopping there. GLAD President Ellis said the partnership with Nielsen happened during the Trump administration because 2020 census did not count gay households. Since this current administration has taken power over, they've since erased us from the census, so we've had to build these workarounds. Ellis went on to hold Hollywood up as a bright, shining example of the rest of the world during the Trump era and characterized the administration's recent policy of defining gender by genitalia, given a birth as a backlash against their wonderful work. This is, I believe, a backlash to some of the movement we've had. Right now, Hollywood is a bright light, and that's amazing. The key is that we've seen it move in the direction, and it doesn't stop here. The current number of LGBT characters in 2017 to 18 season of television are the best GLAD has ever seen in terms of diversity, with a full 22% black, 8% Latin American, Asia Pacific Islanders setting a record number 8%. The gender gap between LGBT characters is narrowed, with women 49.6%, up from last year's 44%. Men have consistently held a majority. On primetime cable shows, LGBTQ characters have increased a full 20% from 173 to 208 characters for streaming services like Netflix and Amazon. The presence of LGBT characters increased 72% since last year by nearly doubling character count for 65 to 112. While television enjoys GLAD's approval, the movie studios do not. In fact, every major studio received failing grades from the organization earlier this year as LGBT representation. Obviously, it all has to do with business. Unlike television, which goes straight into people's houses, filmmakers have to actually motivate people to drive to the theater and buy a ticket. If audience were alienated, they will probably not show up. Hence, why the studios received failing grades from Glad. Hmm. So I ask, as NAACP, Latina groups, gay groups, if all you're doing is looking at the number of gay, straight, whatever characters, black, white, aren't you the fucking racist? I never watch a show and count the characters. The only time I notice is when all of a sudden ratings start to flip and they insert a gay person. It's always there. Shoshana Roms. She puts a gay person in everything. 911, the entire show this week wasn't about Halloween. They had some cool things because I love the show because I loved watching it when I was a kid. It was Emergency, I think is what it was called. Emergency 51. It was about the gay person and the gay relationship and their father and gay, gay, gay. Always gay. And I've said on the show, I'm not gay bash. I don't give a fuck if you fuck a goat. I don't care if you think you're a goat. I don't care that that guy thought he was a dog. Be a dog. I don't give a fuck. But when you insert it in there just to put it in there so you don't get glad on your ass, I'm not watching your show anymore. And right now, with 10% of characters being gay, when only 4.5% are gay, and 7 
tenths of a percentage are trans. Most of us don't know a gay person. Don't work with a gay person. We damn sure don't know a trans person. We don't. I worked with 200 people in U.S. Calvary before it was bought out by Gauls. I knew of two gay people. Two out of 200. That was it. 1% of the company was gay. And no, it wasn't because it was about selling, you know, army shit and guns. No, it was retail. You hire who walks in the door. But does that make them wrong? That's my question. I think if you work your life and look at the world through the prism of race, gender, sexual orientation, you're the problem. When a show has gay people, black people, who the fuck, and it's just part of the show, they're successful. When you insert it and ram it down America's throat, like we'll find out about the Connors in a little bit, you fail. That's why theaters don't give a fuck. They just don't care. They're not going to push that shit. I mean, I do believe they're anti-military and anti-fucking religion. But when religious movies like God's Not Dead are popular, they pump the money in that shit. Hell yeah, they do. They just want to make money. They look at it in green. Money. Not like you with your 10,000 checkbox. Every year I report that, I just fucking crack up. They're fucking, they hate straight people and white people. So I think glad's the problem. Awkward HBO to have an intimacy coordinator on the set to work with everybody when they get their scrumping on. Yeah. That'll be a lot of fun. Air pollution is the new tobacco warns WHO head. And I just, don't leave it there. Air pollution. So now you got to take your air pollution outside to a certain point to do your air pollution. Fucking idiots. And I don't smoke. So, you know, this has nothing to do with me. I just think it's ridiculous. You can always have a part of the building where people smoke. Let them fucking smoke. What's your fucking problem? You're going to get cancer anyway. Everybody's going to get cancer. Shit. Lefty SPLC, which we've already shown the show, is a horrible organization. And the Soros Foundation build coalition to ban hate speech online. The anti-conservative hate group, SPLC, wants to censor people it disagrees with and asking the top social media companies to help. On Thursday, October 25th, the liberal organization announced that it has formed a coalition with five other groups to encourage the prohibition of so-called hate speech online. SPLC partnered with four Soros-funded organizations, Center for American Progress, Color of Change, Free Press, Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, as well as the National Hispanic Media Coalition. The group called for restricting a wide range of content, video advertising, fundraising, domain website services. The restriction even covers targeting an individual group based on their actual or perceived race. Those activities will even limit actions users may take to whether online or offline. The SPLC has marked conservative organizations including Family Research Council, ACT, American Family Association, Alliance Defending Freedom as hate groups. The group has also targeted conservative and classical liberal individuals for hate speech, such as Aya Hersey Ali and Christina Hoff Summers. Conservative groups are usually filed under 
anti-LGBTQ hate speech or anti-Islam hate speech. In addition, SPLC created a hate map update to show the location of 917 groups and organizations that deemed hateful. This map was used by shooter Floyd Lee Konkin form a plan to attack the Family Research Council in 2012, injuring one and being ignored by the media. So here's my question, and why I report it. You gonna do it against the left? Antifa? Black Lives Matter? They got some hateful shit online. I bet you don't censor that, do you? Hmm. To our crazy crime shit, this is fucking horrible. Woman stabs ex-husband and then takes selfie with him as he bleeds. A Siberian woman, identified as Olga in the local media, reportedly grabbed a knife and plunged it into her former partner, Olog, after Boozy Row. But rather than call for help, the woman snapped a selfie of her posing alongside his bloodied body and then sent the photo to her pals. According to a Russian report, 25-year-old Olga even told friends the gory image made her look like a beast. She wrote in the message, Guys, I stabbed my ex with a knife. I was taken to accident emergency for three hours, and only now have I cleaned up anything. It looks like I'm a beast. That old saying, a woman scorned? Yeah, don't fuck with them. She claimed a cop raped her. DNA and dental records proved she's a fucking liar. A Bellevue, Washington police chief was cleared on charges he raped a woman after it was discovered she created fake emails to prove her accusation. Bellevue police chief Steve Milet said he's moving on from a false accusation made by a woman who still is not being named, but seems like likely to be charged with multiple crimes relating to her claims. The Seattle Times reported that Milet was cleared after two and a half month investigation completed by neighboring Bothell police. 44-year-old Issaquah, Washington woman, who accused Myletta claimed he raped her for two years, uh, raped her two years ago at his Bothell home during an encounter arranged through an adult sex website. The woman also made an accusation against two other Bellevue defect- detectives who led to domestic violence and witness tampering charges against one of them. Those charges were dropped. Bothell investigator found Milet's accuser had gone so far as to create phony backdated email exchanges that contained the addresses of Bothell rental home where Milet temporarily lived, the Times reported. But lease records and other evidence proved Milet had moved out of the house prior to when the woman claimed the assault occurred, and DNA tests ruled Milet out a possible match to genetic evidence gathered from clothing the woman turned over as part of the case. But remember, we must believe everyone. Believe everyone! If I was a woman, I would hate women like this because this is why there's problems getting sexual assault charges on people. They have to really investigate it because there's so many women lying. Young mother who killed her rapist dragged body through the street sentenced 10 years in prison. I'm on her side. An Australian woman who stabbed a rapist to death after he threatened her daughter and demanded more sex has been sentenced 10 plus years behind bar. In December 2015, Roxanne Peters, the 32-year-old, stabbed 52-year-old Grant Kassar dozens of times all over his body, including his penis, until his lifeless body was lying on her kitchen floor. Kassar reportedly tied up and raped Peters day before the incident. He came back into her home looking to do a meth cookup. Hmm. Great guy. And demanded she have more sex with him. When Peter refused, Caesar threatened her daughter, said prosecutor David Nardone. Caesar threatened Peter's daughter if she didn't have sex with him again, Nardone claimed. The mother grabbed a kitchen knife, and then when Caesar grabbed her other hand, she repeatedly stabbed him while screaming, You don't rape me. 
After friends refused to help her dispose of the body lying dead on her kitchen floor, Peter decided to drop Caesar's corpse in a ditch past the local police station. She tied up the dead body to the back of her vehicle and dragged him through the streets for over a mile before dumping him. Caesar's body, fouled with 61 injuries, was recovered by authorities the following day. Deep stab wounds were found across his chest and his penis was also said to have been stabbed. Peter eventually pled guilty to manslaughter and interfering with the corpse. According to the New York Post, the presiding judge, David Bodice, acknowledged that Peters was enraged by Caesar's sexual assault and the threats leveled against her daughter, but that does not excuse her lack of respect for his human dignity. I accept the stabbing occurred under circumstances when you were enraged by what the deceased had done to you and was threatening to do to you again. I think if you rape somebody... Whatever happens to you, happens to you. I have no problem. She can drag him through the streets, cut his dick off. I, no. If you sexually assault someone, fuck them. If it's rape. That was rape. Not, he had sex with me and he assaulted me. And making up a lie. Seems like I'm being flip-floppy, but on this case, no. Kill that motherfucker. And our last thing before a lighted fair, which is brought to you by Jay and Georgia... Just hilarious. Four NFL Jacksonville Jaguars arrested by cops. Our name followed London nightclub brawl with over a 50,000 fucking bar tab. American football players earned an average of 43,000 pounds a week squared up to bouncers at London Rain Show Club and refused to pay. Yeah, maybe that's why the Jaguars are sucking so bad, but... That's a lot of hooch. A lot of hooch. So, here is Jay and Georgia's Lighter Fair. It is hilarious. want to tell me what the hell going on in the airport in Kenya? A little Chinese boy got busted in the airport with not a gun, not a knife, not a bomb, not some anthrax, not a box cutter. He had 510 animal penis, 309 from a zebra, 14 from a lion, 27 from a giraffe, 46 baboon penis, 36 buffalo dicks, and 21 dinglings from a pink flamingo. Do you keep them all separated and labeled or do you just mix them all up like Chex Mix? How the hell you get your hands on a giraffe? dick. Only person I know that probably can snatch a dick off a giraffe is Shaq. That sounds like some shit Shaq will do. Y'all just be in the African safari minding y'all damn business. All of a sudden he said, I bet y'all go over there and snatch a dick off of that giraffe. Oh, with that bullshit Shaq. The TSA was mad at the dog because the dog sniffed the bags but didn't start barking. He didn't say nothing. I don't blame that goddamn dog. I guess that damn dog was thinking, hell, if he snatched a dick off a wild animal, what the hell you think he gonna do to me? I start snitching, he gonna start snatching. I ain't got time for that shit. I'm going to lunch in five minutes. I out of all them animals, I feel sorry for the lion the most. How the hell you supposed to be the king of the jungle and you out here roaring in soprano? Damn lion supposed to scare people with his roar. He just get, Rawr! that's a lion. Y'all done snatched the lion dick off. Now he running around the jungle sounding like this. Now the whole pride of lions embarrassed as hell. Is that Mufasa sounding like that? I take my hat off to whoever sat down and counted all them dicks in that airport. I hope you washed your hands before you went to lunch. It was 510 in total. I wouldn't have been able to get the five. One, two. 
I ain't counting shit. Ain't a pair of gloves thick enough to make me grab one dick, not five, let alone 510. Y'all better call Twine in here. Twine will do it. Twine, bring your ass in here and get all these dicks. I'm going to lunch. Well, sir, it's a good thing you like collecting penises because when they get ready to send your ass, it'll be penis as far as I can see. Have fun. That's a lot of dick. That's all I got to say. A lot of dick. Not important. Not appropriate, but I had to say it. Ratings. The Connors beaten by everything. Drops in total viewers and demo as ABC orders only one more episode. The Connors dropped in everything last night. Total viewers, key demo in the nightly rating battle. The Roseanne spinoff continued to trend downward. Last night, the Connors was beaten by everything. NCIS, The Voice, this was the first real objective run, no World Series, nothing to distract potential viewers, but the key demo sank, which isn't a good sign, and the total viewers is down by 180k, which is a lot, frankly. People are leaving and they're not coming back. ABC has ordered one extra episode to the original order of 10. Sounds to me like a finale. Someone wake up and say, the dreamt Rosanna died. There's a crackle from the next room. Fade to black. Good. Then the article I totally disagree with, listening to too much Christmas music is bad for your health, according to a clinical psychologist. It's the news that Grinches everywhere have been waiting for. Overdosing on festive music is officially bad for your mental health. Not least because of the clanging harmonies and inspired lyrics that makes Christmas haters want to say bah humbug at every smiling passerby in a bobble hat. It turns out that Christmas songs actually stop us from being able to focus on anything other than the mince pies and mistletoe. According to psychologist Linda Blair, who sounds like, yeah... The person from The Exorcist, or which was Linda Blair was in The Exorcist, yeah. Listening to Santa Claus coming to town on repeat could actually have a negative effect on your brain. People working in the shops at Christmas have to tune out Christmas music because if they don't, it really does stop you from being focused on anything else. She told Sky News, and she's a hater of Christmas in America and everything. Sorry, I'm just making that up. You're simply spending all of your energy trying to hear what you're not hearing. Not come as a surprise to you that hearing Christmas music on repeat isn't the best thing for one's concentration or sanity levels. However, research shows that striking a good balance between festive smells and music can positively affect the shopping environment, making customers happier. One 2005 study found that when this perfect symmetry between song and scent was achieved, it encouraged people to spend more time in a shop and subsequently boost sales. However, certain type of music are more effective than others, explains marketing professor Eric Spendenberg, who has studied the effect of holiday music in retail settings. Slow tempo, slow shopping shoppers down, he told NBC, meaning that they will stay in a shop longer, whereas fast-paced tunes can rush customers through their store much quicker. No! Love Christmas music. About to get done with this podcast, got to do all the mixing, it takes another half an hour to get it posted, but after that's done... Cleaning the house and setting up Christmas stuff. I disagree. Christmas is the best time of the year. It's a mood enhancer. If you don't like it, you're Satan. I'm going to be a liberal on this. You're evil. Our next podcast will be next Thursday, which should be the 8th. Am I right? Is it the 8th? Yes, the 8th of November. We're going to cover this at nauseum. Senator Lindsey Graham says he'll introduce legislation and birthright citizenship. Something your podcaster totally agrees with. 
I do not think the 14th Amendment and the framers of the Constitution believe people would use it as anchor babies just to get a certain sect of people in the country so they'd vote Democrat. That's what it's about. It's not about these poor people from Venezuela, Costa Rica, other Ricas. It's about voter turnout. It's all it's about. It's not genuous. It's ingenuous. So, we're going to cover that on an S1. I just wanted to put it at the end. But I want to end on something that's kind of positive. John Stewart's kind of the reason why people voted for Obama in my book. He got dumb, stupid-ass, millennial dickheads to watch TV, smoke pot, and eat pizza. And he put the news out in a comedy. It was always anti-Republican, and it started a whole wave of Republicans are bad. During the Bush administration, every night his comedy hate of the right was evident. But he was interviewed this week, and he said something that was very succinct, and I think it's worth listening to. Because when those go crazy about the old Trump and what he says and bashing the media and they totally forget Obama bashed Fox, didn't do interviews with Fox, hated Fox for eight years. They forget that Trump's just using the same kind of techniques. He uses the media against themselves. But we, the journalists, we, I think, believe that our job is to navigate the truth and to do the fact-checking and all the rest of it. So I think that's what motivates But I think the people. journalists have taken it personally. Okay, They're personally wounded and offended by this man. He baits them, and they dive in. And what he's done well, I thought, is appeal to their own narcissism, to their own ego. Because what he says is these are the... And the journalists stand up and say, we are noble, we are honorable, how dare you, sir? And they take it personally, and now... He's changed the conversation to not that his policies are silly or not working or any of those other things. It's all about the fight. He's, he's able to tune out everything else and get people just focused on the fight. He's gonna win. He is spot on. He's using them to fight themselves. All CNN talks about, MSDNC talks about, NBC, ABC. It's not the policy anymore. It's him. It's the person. He has made it, he, he has played them perfectly because their narcissism is now making it no longer about policies or direction of the country. It's about the person. They have become so overwrought with who is he to talk to us like that. We are better. I mean, that's been the problem forever. They aligned with Obama not only for his ideals and his direction and that he was this fucking total libtard, and so are they, but because he was an intellectual like them and spoke in prose and preached from the megaphone just like they do every night. You need to listen to me. I am smarter than you. I know more than you. I am... uh, freaking journalist i'm so intellectual let me explain why you need to think like me vote like me act like me live like me that's all they talk about brian seltzer unreliable sources you went out to rally just to prove how evil those trump people are. who are they to say cnn sucks We're so awesome. No, no, you're not. You made the news about yourself. That's Journalism 101. Never make the news about yourself. But Lemon, Cuomo, Seltzer on CNN and all those other idiots on MSDNC. That's all it is is about you. That's all we've listened to for two fucking years plus 
you. How you're outraged and insulted. Get over it. Just get over it. And move back to the news. Had the media stayed on the high ground, we wouldn't be where we're at. But we got all this fucking violence going on and it's perpetrated by the media, not Trump. Once again, you ignore them, it goes away. You don't. We spent the first year of a presidency looking at a Twitter account. If he tweeted, I eat my own poop, it would lead on the nightly news. But the whole time you're telling us, oh, he shouldn't be tweeting. And then the rhetoric, and you take the rhetoric, as we just proved today, and make it worse. Somebody needs to shoot him. There needs to be a coup. We need to blow up the White House. But he needs to watch his rhetoric. Oh, okay. You have no credibility because you gave up your credibility. Because you got your feelings hurt. Because a commoner dare speaketh negatively to you. Yeah. So that wraps up another episode of Flavor Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments or suggested for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Flop Podcast, gmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Make sure you check out the Flower Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com, foppodcast.com. It's a theme. Check out links, feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page and email, email us. And then on the episode release page, you'll find a link to every episode, and it'll take you directly to SoundCloud. Next show, as stated, will be the 8th of November, year of our Lord, 2018. Make sure you stay safe out there. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Disconnect from your devices and tune back in Thursday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening, folks, and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.